Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a Hello, everybody. It's Wednesday, February 26th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle. I'm in the house with Steve Say. What up? Mr. Bob Ryer. Howdy. And not Stephanie Cook. <gasps> um, never fear. She is attempting to be on the show later. She got called away um, on business uh, at the last minute, so uh, she's running some errands, doing some work-related things, and she's going to try to join us for the second half of the show. Uh, this week, we are doing a uh, listener question show. Uh, we haven't done one in a while, so we put the call out, Facebook, Twitter, on the forums. Got a lot of responses, so we have a lot, a lot of questions to get through. Um, so we'll attempt not to make the first half of the show too long before we get <laughs> to some of your questions. That never happens. No, it does never happens. Um, last week, we did a short show that was two hours and ten minutes and was just books of the week. So... <laughs> Uh, that's, wow. that's the, what we knew that going in though. I know it always happens. Um, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start us off um, a little bit of a down note, a little bit of a downer. Um, it's not comic book related exactly, but Harold uh, Ramis, yeah. uh, legend, comedy legend, uh, indeed, yeah, writer and director of, of such movies as you know Caddyshack, Animal House, Groundhog's Day. Um, you know, co-wrote Ghostbusters for, for goodness sakes. Um, just an amazing, amazing uh, comedic talent, and I think, uh, I mean, for me, someone that I grew up watching and loving, you know, Ghostbusters, I think, uh, for a lot of people, uh, you know, of mine, Steve generation, it, yeah. it, it's one of those, like, first favorite movies in, in a lot of Absolutely. a lot of times, you know, um, a movie that does did something that not really any, any movie had done before as successfully as it had done it, Um you know, one of the most memorable movies as far as lines and and and, and content goes, and, and characters that endure now. I mean, for me, I think Caddyshack is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. You wrote, know, he wrote Animal House. He wrote Animal House as well. You know, it's but, my mom's favorite movie. <laughs> uh, Caddyshack to me, that was one of those movies that um, my my dad loved and my mom hated. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of that going around yeah, back then. Yeah. And. Uh, my dad would recite lines from it before I'd ever seen it, and I didn't know what they were. <laughs> Stick still has marks with the junk he was beating. <laughs> he would do a lot of the, the Chevy yeah. Chase lines. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, uh, mm. you know, that stuff. And uh, I, and I, when I finally saw it, it just it, you know, side splitting. You know, I, I, it was just so funny, uh, and it's really, really sad. You know, uh, he died. Yeah. He's age sixty nine. He had a, I guess, a rare vascular disease. Uh, that took it took him from us way uh, way too early. Um, mm. I know Bob. What are some of your favorite Harold Ramis? I love Multiplicity. Oh really? Just, I, I, I like I'm that the, movie the, too. Yeah, me too. It's just such goofy fun. She but, touched my peppies. <laughs> <laughs> I first saw him on SCTV. Oh wow! When they were running those Channel Nine, I think it was showing mm. those late at night. Was this, there was the Second City folks from Chicago, mm. their, their comedy troupe, but filmed in Canada. Yeah, it's John Candy. 
Martin Short, Eugene Levy, mm-hmm. Catherine O'Hara, Andrea Martin. I mean, an amazing cast of hysterically funny people doing, at that point, a much better show than Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. was doing. Right. And just inventive. It was about a phony television station. Mm-hmm. And just crazy John Candy doing Johnny LaRue, and, and Ramis was the station manager. And just dry, smart, very funny stuff. And that face was just so brilliant. Yeah. You, just, you could watch emotions go across that face. And <laughs> yeah. just, he, he was just enjoying himself, and I, he had a great life. He did, he did, he did. Steve, what are some of your favorite Harold Ramis? Um, well, I grew up with the Ghostbusters. Mm. Ghostbusters was one of those movies that it was the first time that I was ever freaked out by anything that I'd seen, and uh, which was strange because I've mentioned it several times on the podcast, but I grew up on horror movies, but for some reason, the librarian scene in Ooh. Ghostbusters, oh, yeah. when I was a one. kid, scared the crap out of yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. really did. And just all the stuff with Zool that when I was little, I viewed Ghostbusters as a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And of course, now that I'm older, I'm like, ah, it's a lighthearted comedy with you know horror elements, but yeah. safe horror elements. But back then, that was, you know, I had to kind of like close my eyes during those scenes and stuff like that. So he was a part of one of the one of the few things when I was little to actually unnerve me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I Groundhog Day. Oh, yeah. Groundhog oh, Day. Yeah. Amazing. Groundhog Day is I watch it at least once a year. Mm-hmm. Hysterical. And uh, Caddyshack. I just it freaked me out because there's been a lot of death. Like the year yeah. hasn't even started yet mm-hmm. and there's been a couple of people that have left us and it's just another sign that i'm getting older mm-hmm. and these people from my childhood are disappearing and it's happening out of nowhere yeah and it's just uh it's a it's a grim reminder that you know nobody is untouchable mm-hmm. and these these people that are legends you know even legends pass away yeah you know i my biggest loss is still john candy mm-hmm. love that yeah. guy yeah. and i i every year i watch all of his movies. Mm-hmm. He's one of my favorites, and I miss him terribly. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, Harold Ramis is a huge loss. Uh, they, um, President Obama re- released a statement this today, you know, kind of saying goodbye to him, and and, and it was very very nice. And you know, there he talked about you know being both and being from Chicago and, and all these things. And the last line was, um, you know, I hope he achieved uh, what's the word, what's the line from Caddyshack when he said with the Dalai Lama. Uh, Nirvana? No, but he uh, uh, full consciousness or whatever. Oh yeah, okay. What on his deathbed? Yeah. He that was the last line of the of the 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 line that, yeah. the thing that Obama wrote, which is it was very nice. Um, there was also this this piece of like uh, I guess fan art going around, which was kind of the 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 proton pack against a wall, yeah, and him walking away, holding hands with Slimer, yeah, like wow. into the distance. There was uh, there was yeah. another one where it was Egon's spirit saying goodbye to the three other Ghostbusters, oh, yeah. and he's being um, pulled into the the trap. Oh wow, that's on the ground. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 insane. Like to think that Harold Ramis is gone, um, but he led a fantastic life and made some of the most memorable movies ever. So yeah. one of the greatest comedic minds uh, of his generation, absolutely. Um, yes, yes. On to happier things. Again, not quite. Uh, not, well, this will be very short, but not, and it's not quite comic related. But did, did you guys watch the Godzilla trailer? I just watched it in the <laughs> driveway before I walked yes. up here. <laughs> Lots of S's. Yeah. Incredible, Bob. As as the resident Godzilla man, what what did you think? I we were talking about this coming up the mm. driveway. I love you getting more and more of the movie as mm. we go trailer to trailer, and we have a good shot of Godzilla now, and he looks like Godzilla. Yeah, 
I mean, it. You could say it's the. 2000s, the Millennium yeah. Series, sort of ahead of him, but he's massive and yeah. bulky and mean. Mm-hmm. His origin looks a little changed. A little changed, But yeah. we, we have to see other places yeah. about. We don't even know if that's true yet. Yeah. Lots of destruction. Yeah. Lots of Godzilla-level stuff. Tails going around corners. Mm-hmm. and Lots of army stuff. Bridges down and... Yeah. He manages to be in San Francisco and New York, which I think is a cut together part of the trailer yeah. and not the movie because we hear things yeah. that there are things in yeah. this movie. Yeah. there You see hints of other monsters in, in this trailer, mm. which uh, that's exciting. Yeah. Looks like something's flying. Oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> Can't wait for this. The tone of it looks serious. Yeah. We don't have pregnancy tests and big loads of fish. And yeah. I just tried watching that a couple of weeks ago oh, again, wow. thinking it's just, it has to be me. I mean, <laughs> no, it's not. That yeah. movie's terrible. So... Hopefully, this will put the American Godzilla yeah. franchise back together again. I was so excited for that movie before it came out, mm-hmm. and then I was so disappointed. Oh, yeah, the other, the old one? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. It's a great trailer. It was a great That's, trailer. That was the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that trailer with the, the wave coming and yeah. blowing up the pier, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's Godzilla! And then it came out, and I was like, what is, what yeah. is this? What is this? <laughs> well, it's terrible. I, I've shown you that the Japanese continue to make Godzilla movies mm-hmm. all through the 80s and, and mm-hmm. in, into just 2005. It's Godzilla Final Wars, which is the last Toho Godzilla. So awesome. He fight Godzilla's been locked away in the South Pole in the monster prison or whatever. <laughs> and there are mutants from space who show up, and they're going to set monsters loose on all the cities so they can take over. A rogue submarine commander looks like something out of Mortal Kombat, <laughs> gets his, his submarine with a big drill on the front of it, and goes down to the South Pole because the only way to stop the monsters is to get Godzilla. Mm-hmm. So he frees him, and he starts heading toward Japan. Mm-hmm. He wanders into Australia, and the mutant crazy guy, who looks kind of like Robert Smith, only Japanese, <laughs> uh, calls into action the American Godzilla. <laughs> the fight between the American Godzilla and the real Godzilla lasts 28 seconds. He throws him <laughs> yep. through the Sydney Opera House and obliterates him with a, with a radioactive breath blast. <laughs> and he jumps up and down and screams, ah, I knew he was terrible. So awesome. Oh, This yeah. new one, I'm... I'll yeah. be there twice at yeah. least. It uh, the opening voiceover by Brian Cranston like just gives me fucking chills. I was just yep. gonna say that. Like I'm like, what is this movie? You know, it, it's it's so serious, and 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 the tone of it is the tone of his voice and the passion mm-hmm. in his voice is amazing. He's I, pissed. He's really yeah. pissed. Yeah, you know, but it, and the, the just the the way the trailer's put together is fantastic as well. And and they're doing the thing where they're not showing you what's happening, and I like that. I like that they're keeping it. Yep. You know, I don't think they need to. No, they don't. Yeah. I mean, these trailers are getting everybody so excited that why do they? Why do they even you know need oh, to worry about it? When does this come out? April, May? I think it's May. Yeah, May eighteenth. Like yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, it's probably before Memorial Day weekend. But yeah, it's in that period. Mm. Oh my god! I, I like they mentioned nineteen fifty four. Yeah, which harkens right back to the Japanese original. Is this sort of a sequel? Yeah. Will they even tie those together? Mm. Have you seen the Japanese original version of the first one? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm a, not since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I I devoured those movies when I was a kid. I just watched all of them. But the original one was very rarely shown here. If you saw it, the fifty six one with Raymond Burr in English, more than likely. Right, but, probably that's when I saw. Yeah. And that's serious too. But the mm-hmm. Japanese one, they they cut twenty minutes of real story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm to put in 14 minutes of Raymond Burr and mm. lost an entire subplot mm. and the whole idea of what it's really about. It's the misuse of technology. Having right. the, we just atomic bombed them and killed a quarter of a million people. Yeah. And the oxygen destroyer that kills Godzilla is this technology a scientist comes up with, but can I give this to the government? Mm-hmm. 
even though there could be some good come of this, what's the downside of this? And I'm right. not going to spoil the ending of a 60-year-old movie, <laughs> but it is, it, it's really poignant as decisions get made about what to do next, and yeah. it's about something else than a giant monster running around. After that, they were about giant monsters running yeah, around. Yeah, absolutely. But the first one's a real picture, and... I'm going on a Godzilla rant. For all the people who denigrate Godzilla, and there are a lot of terrible ones, mm-hmm. the ones that are really good are really good and mm-hmm. lots of fun, as long as you can buy into a guy in a suit. Yeah. And if that you're fine with that, your representational special effects, Yeah. go for it. Go for it and have a blast. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> I mean, as a kid, those movies shaped my idea of what big movies kind of were supposed to be. Yeah. You know, I yeah. watched a lot of those movies when I when I was younger. Yep. Um. So I still remember where I was when I was watching them. Yeah. Yeah. We had a friend who owned a beach house, and it was like it was old. It was the same house. It was what I talked about before with the Batman yep. episodes with the Burt Ward and Adam West mm. Batman. It was that. It was Godzilla, The Simpsons, and Planet of the Apes. That was mm. all that ever was on TV at that house. Years and years back, Channel 7 here in New York was the ABC station. They had news at 6 o'clock like everybody else. The afternoon was game shows and reruns or soap operas, but they had the 4.30 movie, Mm -hmm. an hour and a half of movie that got you to their news program. They love doing week. So it's Vincent Price week. It's whatever it is, James Bond week. It was very often Godzilla week. Hmm. And through the 60s and 70s, if you were a little kid, it was, that's where I, I get mm. your homework done because it's Godzilla week on the 430 <laughs> movie. Can I eat my dinner in the living room today? Nice. Um, speaking of awesome trailers, uh, this feels like it, it came out two months ago at this point, uh, yeah. but the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer oh, yeah. premiered literally an hour after we finished recording the yeah. podcast last week. Um, so we didn't get to talk about it on the show, um, but it it's interesting because the footage I I waited I didn't see the footage when they showed it live on Kimmel and then I watched it you know, probably an hour later when they put it out on, on the internet and the funny thing about watching the footage for me was that it's the it's the trailer that I saw at Comic Con right it's, it's, really? it's nearly the same exact thing so it's awesome but I didn't ha- I didn't get to have that same feeling of like holy shit I'm finally getting to see what it looks like I had that feeling in October you know so it was really one of the it was the first time I've ever felt like. Uh, an industry insider or something, you know? Uh, because I really was just looking for the reaction of other people at that point. I, w- I just like went on Twitter and Facebook and just wanted to see how people were reacting to the trailer. Right. Um, and I, I haven't talked to either of you guys about the reaction to the trailer. Um, Bob, w- what did you think? I'm really digging that Marvel can put a movie out with a talking tree and a <laughs> raccoon and, you know, Warners can't do Wonder Woman. <laughs> It looks hysterical. It's sort of it. If this doesn't fly with the Serenity mm. crowd, with the Star Wars people, who the, the non-comic book science fiction fans, nothing ever will. It's funny, has an edge. We've got in, a whole bunch of interesting characters. I'm sure people will pick out one for mm. themselves. There's some carping. Oh, they don't look right. The costumes. Mm. This uh, look. Gamora can't wear. What she wears in a comic book in real life, it's ludicrous. She'd be a wardrobe malfunction every second. But Zoe Saldana looks great as that mm-hmm. character. The tree group works. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why. Watching him just sort of bend over to get in this shot. And, mm-hmm. and what a great use of blue Swedes hooked on a feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Steve, what did you think? Fun times. <laughs> it looks awesome. I like the tone of it. Yeah. I like the 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 song playing mm-hmm. on, the, on the headphones and... Just really painting an idea for the audience as to what this is going to be, that it's going to be fun. 
it's going to be science fiction. This is not the Avengers. These are is a whole group of new people for you to get to know. And from the majority and the vast majority of the response online was that people were really into it. Yeah. You know, um, I felt like the nitpicks were really desperate grabs at things to complain about just because people love to complain. Mm -hmm. There was nothing about that trailer for me personally that didn't say, like, I can't wait for Mm -hmm. this movie. The characters look awesome. They they even from the trailer, it feels it has that vibe of Guardians of the Galaxy, the new Brian Michael Mm -hmm. Bendis that's been happening for the past year. And I just I like the idea of crossovers in the future this is this is the first step of introducing a whole other side of marvel to those audiences that have only gotten to know the avengers in the past couple years due to those movies and they haven't ventured outside of that now this is going to show them that other stuff exists and it's going to just like i said toys for Mm -hmm. christmas guardians of the galaxy will probably be huge with rocket raccoon plushies gotta have one of those Yeah. yeah Uh, I'm still curious. I know they're not going to give it away in the in the trailer, but I want to know what they're doing with Groot as opposed to if he's going to speak. He's just going to say, I am Groot. That's all he's saying. That's it. Yep. But they, they talked about yeah. it. They had an interview with James Gunn okay. the other day where he talked about Vin Diesel coming in and reading for it and, and doing the voice of it. And they said <laughs> they, they had a lot of other actors try it and they just weren't working. And they said when they brought him in and he was doing it, like the, he, he, I know he knows it sounds silly, but having him do I am Groot like so many different ways because mm-hmm. it was amazing because I, I would I would, he would ask me like what's the what am I saying here you know right. I'm saying yeah. I am Groot but what am I actually saying and he would go into the line and do it and they said it shaped the way the character was portrayed it said it you know it changed That's fantastic. kind of the tone of the character yeah, like if he's sad yeah, it's sad. Like, yeah. I am yeah. Groot, Groot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh I can't wait oh man <laughs> Um, oh, it looks like such a good time. I love, first of all, I mean, the tone, obviously. The tone, it, it, it rings the most, I think, to everybody who watches it, comic book fan or non-comic book fan alike. I think that it just, if nothing else, people are are, are set up and take notice of how w- weird it seems. Mm. You know, and, and if the Marvel movies have been accused of, of one thing, it's it's that they have been relatively... They've been safe in the nature that they are popcorn entertainment that people can enjoy. There's nothing, there's nothing divisive about Marvel movies, nor should there be. They're not, you know, they're not. They're not talking about like a '70s Scorsese movie, but Mm -hmm. uh, the the difference and of the tone, I think, is is making people notice it. I also people mention the Gamora thing or or Drax as well, and. Look, I would rather have them. They, look, they have practical effects on their body. They're not digitally enhanced. They're they're just how they look. I would rather have that in this movie than them to be digital. Well, what Absolutely. are the what are the complaints? It's, I haven't it, heard anything. I, look, I I think that it's because I don't think it's the intention of the movie. The movie wants to feel dirty. It wants to feel like dirty yeah. sci-fi. Yeah. I, I think that people are having a disconnect with how Gamora and how Drax look. Because they look like people with makeup on, you right. know. Drax at one point when he was first created as a big flowing cape, he looks like the Martian Manhunter, and <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And no, yeah. not even the new series though. He doesn't even have it. He just he looks exactly like that. Yeah. But I, I think that I like the way they look. Look, I think that it's so funny because when you tell people about it, they would call you crazy. But there is no character being talked about more. Than that freaking little raccoon in that in that <laughs> yep. trailer, and he doesn't even speak. 
in the in the in did, the trailer. Did you see the little uh, the little like snippet or TV spot with Matthew McConaughey yeah. doing the Bradley the Cooper? Voice? Right, yeah, oh, God, <laughs> God, could you, ima- could you imagine? Could you imagine? Jesus. Well, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna come with some folks here. Seriously. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, God. no, it was cool, and I think that I mean. It looks great, and I think that the tone is perfect. I think Chris Pratt is going to knock it out of the park. I think that uh, I just think that he's going to be if he's. I mean, he's already his voice is already huge because the Lego Movie, but I think he's going to be a you know he's going to be a household name after this movie Whoa. comes out. Yeah, and the James again, Marvel proves that the studio proves that they can pick the right director for the right project. James Gunn is not the guy you would pick to direct a um, hundred million dollar superhero mm-hmm. epic. Right, but he turns out he's going to be the exact right person to direct this movie. Well, the tone of Slither, yeah, yeah, is here. Mm-hmm. It's that knowing, winking. We're all having fun with this. Yeah. Here are the conventions of this. I'm going to turn it all on its head with an interesting cast. Go for it. Yeah. Have you seen Super? Yes, love Super. Yeah, Super was like it was really dark. Yeah, but it was it was oddly very funny. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm so excited that he's helming this whole thing, and they've already announced. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Two is mm. part of like the next phase, mm. so they're obviously confident and running with it. Yeah, this could set Marvel up so amazingly for these other movies that mm. are to come. Once you go cosmic, yeah, we everything is now in play. They can't say now, okay, we want to do Black Widow and we'll mm. do Punisher movies. Great, we can do all this space stuff. Now yeah. you can have Captain Marvel without there being a problem. You can do Doctor Strange. Who no one's really heard. Of. Well, let's do that. Yeah, we did this. How? Yeah, what the heck. I think it's the no one's really heard of thing that's going to be come most out of this. Because then, if they, people see this movie, and like someone like Jeff, who uh, hosts Man Cave, and, and he, this is the one he's like, I'm not sure about this one. He's like, I don't know who these people are. <laughs> like, I, this might be the one that I'm out on. Oh, I remember that conversation. Yep. You know, and if he ends up liking this movie, it's gonna you know kind of a amalgam for the, the bigger audience. Then when more movies come up where he has no idea who they are and he doesn't really tr- he doesn't has any interest in the character, more willing to be like, probably likely to be say, you know what I didn't think Guardians was gonna be good. I didn't know who they were and it ended up being great. So I'm gonna I'm on board for uh, this movie. Yeah, has, has he seen the trailer? I don't I don't know. I haven't talked to him about it, so right. we'll have to see about that. Uh, kind of in tandem with this, uh, Justin Townsend was was asking us on Twitter, uh, is Guardians of the Galaxy where Marvel bites off more than it can chew audience wise? Or is it the Marvel or is the Marvel train unstoppable at this point? Bob, what do you think? I'm thinking from the reaction of fans and civilians for mm-hmm. this, I think we're more on the unstoppable side right. than this. Captain America is gonna be big. Mm-hmm. Expectedly so, coming off the Avengers, and you've got a really shrewd plot there mm-hmm. going on. This is gonna take them to someplace else. I think they're unstoppable. Look, anything is possible. This could end up cut together as a mess right yes we've seen great trailers and mm. bad movies yeah godzilla as we mentioned <laughs> before i don't think that's the case here i think this is going to really fly and if it doesn't make avengers money mm. it's gonna this is our old fanboy remix you yeah. know box office derby uh what weekend does this open august 1st i believe is the okay weekend. so sort of after everything's mm. passed through uh, 100 million opening weekend I don't know if it's me hundred million opening weekend, but I think I think they're looking for I think they just want like Captain America Thor first movie numbers. Okay, 170, 180. 180, 200 million, something around oh, easy, something, easily. Yeah. Easily gonna do that. I I think if Guardians of the Galaxy opens to a seventy million dollar weekend, that's yep. that's that's a shot across the bow saying that we can take characters that not even comic book fans have heard of 
right. and make successful movies yeah. out of them. I think it's going to be one of those like really, really decent opening weekend, word of mouth, next weekend killers. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what I yeah. think is going to happen. Could, could very well be. And we get a little cool snippets in the trailer, too. Like, you see... I mean, there's a very little quick snippet of Ronin, really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, we get Pinocchio Dottorio's character. Obviously, the collector is in there. Get some uh, Amy Pond action. Uh, she looks Nebula. good. Yeah. She looks so good. Uh, looking pretty uh, badass there. So You know who her character is, right? Well, she's Gamora's sister, I think. Right, which yeah, is Nebula. Thanos's daughter. Yeah, yeah, yes. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> Got another angle at that thing in the glass case from... Yeah. The after thing from Thor. Mm. I don't know. There's speculation that that's the cocoon of Adam Warlock. Yeah. Which would be a hell of a lot of fun. That puts <laughs> that. Well, he's one of Thanos's big opponents. Mm. This is big stuff if it happens. Sick. All right. Looking looking forward to that. Um, next up, this news came in today, and we haven't really. Um, and uh, Randy Ochoa asked us to talk about it on Twitter. Uh, and this is coming up leading cool, so it's not official. We don't know if this is official or not. Just preface that, but it appears that in the in a relatively recent uh, future, uh, Brian Azzarello and Cliff Chang are going to be off Wonder Woman with David Finch, who now right now is in the art for Forever Evil. Um, he started out the run of Batman: The Dark Knight when the New Fifty Two first launched. He's going to be taking over art duties, possibly writing. We don't know. It, it, it looks like there is a, a piece of art designed by him that we saw, like the the kind of conceptual sketch, I guess, of Wonder mm-hmm. Woman. It does not say if he's writing it. My my gut is that if they haven't announced anyone else, he probably will be writing it, at least to start out with, um, just because he has a history of doing that. But I, I wouldn't take that to the bank. I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, Bob, as our, our biggest Wonder Woman person, um, I know you talked about a little bit on the forums, but what do you what do you think about this announcement? Well, for all that the new 52 Wonder Woman wasn't Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. You know, to my classically trained eye for such things, it was respectful to whatever version of the character that was. Mm-hmm. She was a little too dumb. She was getting led around by the nose, and that they fouled up her origin and make mm-hmm. sport of it. You know, calling her Clay as a you know, pejorative nickname. Mm-hmm. The art was spectacular. It was gorgeous, and if a bit bloody, just wonderful to look at, and the least objectifying Wonder Woman that's been around for a while. Yeah. While in the main books, in the ensemble book, she is not drawn that way. Mm-hmm. And that image, if your first conceptual image of Wonder Woman is her posed in the Mike Diodato thong outfit, standing with her back at, at an angle where she'd have to go to the chiropractor, not so good. Mm-hmm. Not, a, not a good way to begin. I've read, you know, in the article I saw, the same one you did, the looking for the Justice League vibe of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll yeah. be interesting to see what happens, sale numbers. They, they flushed away the 30,000 people from before who were buying Wonder Woman, replaced them with probably 20-odd thousand new people and a few hangovers who just want to support Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. who are still in there pitching. Now that you've turned it around back into that other thing, it's going to be really interesting sales experiment. Mm-hmm. Not a yeah. fan of what they're doing with that artwork. Mm-hmm. Now you'll... You may not have a good story, which they were telling, and mm. now don't have that art to go with it. So yeah. what are the sales going to be? Who's going to be on board? I Skeptical. Yeah. Word of the day. The only thing I'll say about this art is I don't, I don't not know if this is anything like recent. This might be a commission he did. This might be you know, a piece of art he did mm. some, some while back. I, I have no idea. That's true, but the, the 
except in Cliff Chang's Wonder Woman. Yeah, no, no. As she is drawn in Superman, Wonder Woman, in Justice League, in everything else, it's kind of that. Right, no, and I understand that. And I'm not saying it's not yeah. going to be that way. I just don't want to to assume it's going to be that okay, way. Okay, I'll go with that. You know, and and, and not and, and it be not that. Uh, you know, my problem here is that look, I love Forever Evil. The art to me is good, but not great. I have a, a big problems with it sometimes. Uh, and his stuff at the beginning with the the Dark Knight was really bad. Like it was just bad. Oops. So writing wise. So if he's writing it, I'm completely out, you know? One Room is one of those books where, like you were saying, uh, if you're looking for the classical portrayal of Wonder Woman, it's not the book that you're not probably not going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. The, when I read it and was just kind of going into it kind of fresh, not knowing, I thought, it, it like you said, it's very well written and it looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those books that I want to go back and read when it's all collected just to get a sense of it as kind of a piece in time, you know, whatever you want to think about it and however you feel about it. David Finch doing it, Brian Azzarello is a heavyweight creator. He's a heavyweight writer. Cliff Chang is a heavyweight artist. David Finch is a heavyweight artist. Don't get me wrong. He does, he's on the Avengers. He's done Justice League. He's done Forever Evil. You know, he's, he does a ton of the big books. He's not a heavyweight writer. And to have someone like that writing one of your biggest characters, regardless of who it is, male or female, when he's writing Batman, I didn't like it. I think that's a mistake. Yeah. Now, they're sitting on... I've read a few of these. I'm not really thrilled with the new lineup of what the Birds of Prey is. Christy Marks is writing that book and fairly well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very respectful. Mm-hmm. It, it, it plays pretty well. I just don't like that lineup anymore. Yeah. But to get yourself a whole lot of wonderful, positive publicity, wouldn't you be better off hiring her Yeah. to come write Wonder Woman <clears throat> and to, to put a book out that mm-hmm. would right. smooth the waters a little bit? And mm-hmm. That way, even if you had that art, at least it would be... right. From a different story place. Steve, do you have any uh, anything to weigh in on about this one Ruben situation? Uh, it's unfortunate that I think I'm going to have to wait and see mm. on it. Um, Finch is cool. I don't, you know, I, I enjoy his his artwork uh, for the most part. Not all of it. Uh, it seems that it's there are times when certain panels are off or faces are off, uh, and he's very he's very dark, which is one of my concerns is if we're going from the Cliff Chang, like the bright and colorful and kind of just really big, and then you have more of the traditional DC Justice League-ish Forever Evil style art for her, I just don't know that it's a good fit for where I would like to see the character go Mm -hmm. from here if they are going to change runners and then they're going to put somebody else in charge of it. I think I'd rather it'd be a little bit more um, like softer mm-hmm. for the character. So uh, I, I'll, I'll keep hope alive. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> keep hope alive. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, and also another thing for me is there's so much Wonder Woman that I've heard is tremendous that I have yet to read that if the new Wonder Woman isn't blowing socks, it's not going to hurt me in any right. way. Yep. I still have... You know, I read like all the Rucka stuff, but there's other stuff. There's the Gail Simone stuff. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I have not read the Gail Simone stuff. Mm-hmm. You want so, Perez, you want Jimenez, Byrne. There are a lot, a lot more good runs. Yeah. For all the hubbub about how right. terrible it's been, there are really good runs until yeah. right near the end. Straczynski's mm-hmm. was iffy. Mm-hmm. 
the lost Amazons, and he may have gotten a chance to tell a better story, except mm. he got cut off too. Right, right, yeah. As the previous three creators yeah. did. <laughs> I mean, if somebody comes up to me and they're like, you know, have you read the new Wonder Woman? Mm. I'll, I'll be like, what, really? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, and then, you know, go and check it out and see what's up. Yeah. But if it's, if it's not that way, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's not okay for the character, right, but it's okay right. for me because I can always go back and, you know, indulge myself. Yeah, no, right. I, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I... Here's the thing. I, I think that a Christy Marks, someone like that, that, that's obviously a respectful person to, to put on that book. My problem with Birds of Prey is not that I don't. I, I think it's a bad book. I just think it's it's just like a, a such a neutral thing to me. It mm-hmm. just doesn't doesn't make me want to read it. I've, I've read a few issues. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, it's why I love the concept, but I can't get behind it. But yeah. she's writing it well. It's just what she's the tools she's been given to play with. Mm-hmm. They're not the Birds of Prey, so the, the dynamic is off. Right. Exactly. So something like that, you know, it surprises me that they, they, I mean, look, we don't even know. We don't, David Hitch might just be the artist here and then we're going to get a writer announcement. I feel like someone like, you know, Marguerite Bennett is someone that they would, they would look to put on that book. She's obviously a kind of a rising force at DC. Uh, Today, in fact, the the Lois Lane one shot is out. It looks good. It looks good. You know, obviously we haven't chance to read it yet because we're recording this on Tuesday, but she seems like, you know, a, a, a good fit. To, to write a character like that. I mean, you know, obviously someone like Gail Simone is obviously a good fit to write someone like a character like that. I don't know if she... I, I feel like... I feel like a little bit like... I feel like she could write Birds of Prey if she wanted to. You know, I feel like she doesn't... I feel like she's in this place, and this is just going by what she's doing. She doesn't want to go back anymore, you know? She's already said her piece with Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't I, know. I, I've read that she has said something very similar to that, that mm-hmm. going back to Wonder Woman... Mm-hmm. No... If she had Oracle at her disposal, I think she said she could write Birds of Prey forever. Right, right. That being said, Oracle's not coming back, mm-hmm. so yeah. that's not happening. I'd right. like for it to be a situation where we don't need Gail Simone to come back to the book in order yeah. to like have like a big hope for it, that there's someone else at DC that's female that could come on, or even a male that yeah. just oh. knows how to do the character justice. Yeah. But as far as like the Gail Simone thing goes, she's... Tapping into all kinds of things. Tomb Raider comes out today. Mm. I think we said it actually comes out today. Yeah, it actually comes yeah. out today. Yeah. Um, I am super pumped for that. Yeah. I've been following Lara Croft from mm. Game One, mm-hmm. and the, the idea of her writing that character—if she can—and not even that she has to—but if she does for Red Sonia, what she you know for mm. Lara Croft. Holy crap! Like, right. That's going to be awesome because Red Sonia has been phenomenal. Oh, yeah. The last issue is amazing. I did read it. Yeah. It's great. Uh, little news story: She is a guest. At the C two E two, which mm-hmm. is whatever that's Chicago, Chicago Entertainment, yeah. yeah, at the Women of Marvel panel. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, she's writing some Marvel books right now. Uh, yeah, you know, a one shot of Deadpool and one shot of Savage Wolverine yeah. wouldn't necessarily get you to be a guest on that <laughs> panel. I remember one of my predictions for <laughs> this year was her writing a series at Marvel. Yeah, Ooh, can I awesome. make a little check mark <laughs> in a couple we'll, of weeks? Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens if that comes Count true. It. Yeah. Count it. Um, so obviously it's a lot of speculation. We'll probably know more as, as it goes along, uh, much like the, uh, the Superman Romito story. I feel like it's developing kind of in the, in the same way. This yeah. We haven't heard story. any. No, I mean, we know yeah. that we probably know that Jeff Johns is writing it, but back, we, we started out hearing like this superstar artist is going to do, do this book. And then we didn't know there was a writer until much later. Like, cause I figured that Romita was going to be writing Superman mm-hmm. because why would you come over just to do art? But, um, obviously that's not the way it is. All right, so let's get to the biggest news. I know the news that people are waiting to hear Bob talk about. 
Uh, uh, Ms. Marvel was number one on Marvel's digital sales chart. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's the one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Another story that 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 broke like immediately the day after we recorded the podcast. Um, we've now had I guess five or six days to, to think about these things, and, and we're gonna we're gonna talk mm. about it big time here. So after month, I feel like I feel like a year of speculation and rumors. Um, the cast for for the four main players in the Fantastic Four reboot called the Fantastic Four is it were announced um in in a, in a first of all in a in a very odd way it was it was like I feel like it got leaked by accident and they had to confirm it I feel like that that's what happened here because I, I feel like there should have been a much bigger deal ma- made about it um so let's start off here we've got um Kate Mara uh from House of Cards playing Sue Storm slash the Invisible Woman we've got Miles Teller uh, playing Reed Richards slash Mr. Fantastic. We've got Jamie Bell playing Ben Grimm slash The Thing and Michael B. Jordan, Johnny Storm, The Human Torch. Um, one of those, not a surprise, because we've known about it pretty much for six months at this point. It's been circling it. That would be Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm. And we've talked a lot about that possibility. So I don't think that's something that we really need to dive too much into Mm-mm. on this show because we've had m- lots of time to talk about that one. The other people, however, we have not. We have we didn't know any of these people for sure. Uh Teller's name kept coming up, but it wasn't it wasn't for sure. Um, and the other two names, Kamara was mentioned sim- somewhat, and Jamie Bell is completely out of nowhere. This that is mm-hmm. the casting that we that was he was not on any of the lists. Um, Bob, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you're gonna go last because I want you, mm-hmm. uh, you I want you to, uh, Steve. Uh, just give me an idea when you heard the news and heard the names. Uh, what did you think? Well, it's a good thing that we've had a couple of days <laughs> to kind of for me to come off the ceiling. Um, I am very wary uh i've been wary since since day one of this thing at this point i'm really holding on to the idea that it's uh, josh trank josh trank yeah doing this film i really really enjoyed chronicle a lot um but i don't know who miles teller is Mm -hmm. and this is the difficult thing i don't have a relationship or any kind of attachment to any of the stars mm. signed on with the exception of um kate mara who unfortunately from what i understand it's one of her not so great performances was uh her spot in american heart story mm. i hated her in that show <laughs> i really did i did not like her i don't think i wasn't supposed to like her no you're supposed to hate her right <laughs> yeah but so that was good I yeah guess, she's yeah. not a very nice person I don't want to get like really like superficial. Mm. I I don't if I had a list of actresses that I I don't care for for almost no reason at all, she'd be <laughs> on it. Um there's nothing about her that when I look at her that says to me the mother of Marvel. Mm-hmm. If she can prove me wrong, I would that would be great. Mm. Uh Jamie Bell was the he was the voice of Tintin. He did he also do the motion capture? Yeah, I'm sure he did. That's how okay. they worked those things. That actually has me a little excited because in researching Tintin, I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal job as far as as body movements, and he knows he knows the technology that they're mo- most likely going to use to pull off, you know, mm-hmm. Ben Grimm turning into the thing. I'm assuming they're going to go digital. I can't imagine them putting him in, they are, you know, a big rubber suit or whatever. So that actually has me excited. Not the not the actor that I would have you know, chosen mm-hmm. for the role, but certainly someone who is skilled enough to be able to work with the technology to make it look really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that regard, 
I'm actually he's probably the person that I'm the most excited for as far as the cast announcements go. Uh, I don't know Miles Teller from a hole in the wall. Yeah, well, the KD, problem is no, Katie Lang. You mean nobody? He does look like Katie Lang. Yeah. Nobody. Is, like barely anybody knows any right. Miles Teller at this point. Um, he he's in that series of Divergent movies. That's uh, kind of it's like a new YA book. That's series okay. that's coming out. He was in a movie called um, The Spectacular Now that came out this year, which was he was very highly acclaimed for. I did not see hmm. it. I know our friend Brian who does talking movies. He saw it. He thinks he's great in it. Yeah. But the thing about Miles Teller is that no one knows anything about him. You know, he's been in some movies, but he's not. A, he's not a name. Even he's not even a, a big a name as any of the other people who are cast in this movie. And none of them really, except for Michael B. Jordan, is even really a name at this point. So. Right. Yeah. Um yeah, I he looks like a young Reed, mm. but he looks like a really young Reed. Yeah. And uh I just I I have nothing but the highest hopes for the movie. Mm. I really hope that they manage to do something with it that makes me want to see it and makes me excited to see it would be even better. Mm-hmm. Um but for right now I'm really just I'm just holding my breath. Yeah. I'm trying to stay positive and they're not making it easy. It's just for me personally. Mm-hmm. I I never imagined when this movie was announced that they would be going so young for the cast, which it could work. Mm. Uh, and if it does, and if it amounts to a good movie that turns into a good series, and these characters, these actors grow into the characters, and they wind up making like a really cool trilogy out of nowhere, then that's fantastic. Uh, but I have to see it. Yeah. Willing to be surprised, but not hopeful. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, no, that I, makes sense. I mean, aside from we know, we all know Bob is the grand poobah of <laughs> Fantastic Four, but in the time that we've been doing this, they've become my favorite team yeah. as well. That I just I want this movie to be amazing. I want it to be fantastic, haha. And I there's no part of me that doesn't want it to be a success. I just I don't feel it yet. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, B- Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and now Bob. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, here's my I've question. Gone... Do you want me to go first and then have you go, or do you? Sure, go? you might as well. Okay. In case I start ranting all over the place. And again, I talked to this on Comics and Coffee, so I don't want to repeat yeah, okay. too much of what I said. Um, and I said this on Twitter as well. I had a nice conversation with Jeremy Whitley actually on Twitter uh, about this whole thing. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know Miles Teller. From everything I heard, he's a, he's a very good actor. Um. Do do I wish that they had gone older with Reed? I absolutely do. I think that it would have been it would have been a more interesting movie if Reed was late thirties at the at the youngest, you know, early forties. Robert Downey Jr. age in Iron Man is kind of what I would I would picture. Just because it brings a different dynamic. It's not a it's not a bunch of um and look, he's not I mean he's not that young. He's twenty seven. It's not like he's 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 nineteen or whatever. But uh it. We, I just think when I think of movies like this, they make so many of them now. Like comic movies are hugely popular, ubiquitous. Makes there's so many movies that star attractive twenty mid twenty to early thirties people that there's space to have that those age groups in this movie as well. But for that role, I think it would have been more interesting and uh, a different dynamic that could have brought something new to kind of the, the comic book space if if he had been older. Um, like Steve was saying, does that mean he's going to be bad at the role? doesn't mean that. It just means that it's not the read that I was looking for when they cast it. Um, um, you know, for me, uh, the Jamie Bell thing, it, it's it's just tough for me to picture Jamie Bell. Not not as the thing, because I'm sure when they for mocap, it's going to be great. 
and he's a great actor. Look, he he you know he's he, Billy Elliot. The first movie he ever did. He's he's fantastic in that movie. He's great in you know he's one of the better things about the King Kong remake. He you know he's been good in just about everything he's ever been in. Um, d- does he say does he say Ben Grimm to me when I see him? Absolutely not. The, the way he looks does not like. I've always said that the way he people people look does not. Um, is the least important thing to me, but I also have, I have never seen him be that type of character before. Doesn't mean he can't be. I think he's a very good actor. Um, but I, but it, I, I don't, I don't necessarily say, I don't see him. And I go, that's Ben Grimm. The only person who I think, and it's funny because the person that people are, is least being talked about is Kate Mara. Because listen, Kate Mara is a 31 year old woman who just did an amazing, she's amazing in house of cards. Like she is amazing on that show. I, I, I don't, I've never, I've never seen her play. You know, a mother. She's not going to be a mother in this movie anyway. You know, it's going to be the beginnings. Um, but she certainly is a self-possessed woman who she's also a fantastic actress. So for her, she's not the like you said. If I if you went through a list of a hundred people, like yeah. I, I would not have. I would not say Kate Mara should play Sue Storm. Well, I plan on watching. I'm I'm going to watch House of Cards. Mm-hmm. Um, like as soon I'm watching like yeah. maybe eleven things right now. As right. soon as something winds down, that's going to be my next plan of attack. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get more familiar with her because mm-hmm. I want to I want to feel more confident right. in their choice. Mm-hmm. She's a great actress. I've never seen her play a role like Sue Storm before. Yeah, but she's a great actress. The problem with this casting to me, and I said this on Comics and Coffee, is not that I think any of these people are bad, and not that I, I don't believe in Josh Trank, because the one movie he made, I really like that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, when I talked to Jeremy Whitley, a lot of it was you know uh, talking about the track record of the studio, and I and I understand that, but you know, Disney makes horrible movies and they make great movies. Warner Brothers makes horrible movies and they make great movies. It's tough to judge by studio. I I have to, I have to believe in the creative talent behind them the 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 movie and that they want to make a good movie. Whether that's be the movie I want to see or not, well, that that is that remains to be seen fully and completely. The problem with this casting, though, is that not for me and not for anybody who's going to be there day one anyway. It's that none of this casting makes you go, man, I really want to see that movie. None of this casting does that, except for me. Yeah. I listen. I love. We talked before. I love Michael B. Jordan. I think he's fucking fantastic. He is the reason, only reason I'm excited about any of this. Mm-hmm. Um. Other than him, none of those people make me go. They don't. They're not interesting, you know. And it was so funny that it came out right after the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer, which is just full of <laughs> completely inter- interesting. It's just all yeah. interesting. And look, we might see this when they see footage. It might look really interesting, but to me, on the surface, this it just looks. They have the problem of it looking generic, and that's that's the problem I think right now for me. And it, to me, it's also they just they want so badly. They're running away from what happened 15 years ago with that first movie. Right. They're running away from it. So they're d- trying to do everything they can for it to look different than the movie they made 15 years ago. And I just hope they don't go too far in trying to do that. Um, all right, Bob. I've gone from disappointed to heartbroken. <laughs> because, again, the age thing, can anyone play older, put mm. stuff in his hair? You've lost the three-layer approach to the ages of these mm-hmm. characters, which yeah. creates its own dynamic mm-hmm. within it. The two friends the slightly younger girlfriend mm. and the younger brother. Yeah. When they cast this, when Marty Langford was here, yeah. when they cast that Corman movie, uh, Alex Hyde White and Michael Bailey Smith were in their late 30s. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Stab was 33 and Jay Underwood was 26 playing 19. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's yeah. it exactly. And you then have father figure, yeah. girlfriend, friend, mm-hmm. son, surrogate mm-hmm. son, the whole thing. 
what this really says to me, why I'm so heartbroken about this, is that Mark Millar, who's in charge of making mm. the decisions at Fox, when I see those ages, he's going to bring to the screen his and Brian Michael Bennis's ultimate Fantastic Four. Right. That's where this is going to be. And frankly, that is the only Fantastic Four series I didn't collect. Hmm. I tried. It's awful. Mm-hmm. Reed and Sue work for Professor Storm at mm. some think tank lab. Does this start to sound like the leaked script that we're mm. not supposed to have seen? Except <laughs> he said, all the rumors are false except one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which one is that and I can't trust that you're going to say that I loved Chronicle mm. when I heard he was doing this movie I was really jazzed wow found footage interesting mm-hmm. concept layered characters struggling with how you be a hero when this is thrust upon you what you're talking about going too far from this I understand that Fox as a studio wants to go as far away from the two disasters they made before as is possible mm. And so I'm sure they listened to Mr. Millar, who's a comic book professional, and mm. said, well, look, we can do this, and mm. it's not what you did before. I, I have an idea. You want to change things up? How about doing Stanley and Jack Kirby's Fantastic mm. Four? Because you haven't done those yet. No, they haven't. So before we do this, mm-hmm. how about let's do it the right way? Yeah. I'd love that in my lifetime I'll get to see a Fantastic Four movie with the real characters mm-hmm. as laid out by their creators with their characteristics and it not be a $750,000 thing shot in Roger Corman's backyard. Right, yeah. And so I'm, I'm really, I'd like to say I'm, I'm never going to see this. Mm. It will end up being something we have to review, mm. so I'm probably going to have to sit there mm. and grit my teeth and cry. Mm-hmm. It's a real problem. If, again, if you had done the real one and wanted to switch it up, mm. I understand that. Mm. You never, never really gave that material a chance to see whether it would fly or not. And you're not putting yourself out there as groundbreaking and edgy and different to the general public because they don't really know these characters except for it was Jessica Alba and and Chris Evans, who's now Mm. Captain America. Mm. Show us the real characters once. And I'm... One thing this did for me, as I uh, as I joked, you know, things I was most thankful for, Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. I'm really thankful this announcement came out because my coffee table is covered in Fantastic Four books and Masterworks and mm-hmm. reprints, and I've got boxes of comics out, mm-hmm. and I'm reading Stan and Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Bob, and that, that's I mean, you said it better than I said it, but that dynamic is the thing that I think is lost here. And that's the problem for me, you know, and not that these actors are bad actors because they're all mm-hmm. good actors. Not that I think the director is a bad director. Not that, you know, all the creative talent I think is fine. And they might end up making a, a fun, you know, superhero movie, but you can make a fun superhero movie with anything. You know, you, 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 right. you have, you have to, and this is, this is the reason why, but, but anything else above anything else, why Marvel, ha- the Marvel Studios, has has been so successful and has is so well liked by comic fans and by the general public is because when they make movies about characters, that movie is specific to that character and to that spirit of that character. Captain America is not the same movie as Thor. It's not the same movie as Iron mm-hmm. Man. Those movies are born and bred out of. They might they they change details, they change costumes, they change things, but they never change the core of what those characters are about. And when we talked all this about, you know, the, when the Michael B. Jordan thing first started coming up, and I think, and we said that it was we talked about the Lex Luthor thing as well. I don't care if 
if they're if they look different or they're younger or whatever as long as you keep the spirit but by but by crunching the ages down into one bracket here you 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 can have a family dynamic but you can't have the same family dynamic mm-hmm. that existed before absolutely uh and and that's that's the trouble right i mean you can still michael b jordan can play younger he can play 19 so you could have kind of sue almost like surrogate almost you know is she you know it's her She's his brother, I mean, he's her brother, but she's sort of also his mother because she's taken care of him since he was a kid or something like that. Yeah. You can still do that. And you can still kind of do that a little bit with Reed, but not really, not to the extent. Um, and, and so that that does make me a little bit sad. Just because mostly, be- and like, I don't have the, the, the history with it with you, speaking just objectively, it makes it a less interesting movie. Because I, I, I've seen a bunch of movies about people who are all the same age hanging out a, a ton. I've seen, I've seen that a million times. And you're, the problem is you're competing against a bunch of movies that do that same thing. So, so what's going to stand you out from the pack? You know, as created all those years ago, Stan was was cast upon by his his boss, his uncle Martin Goodman. That well, DC's got these superhero teams, and they're doing really good. Uh, Justice League is selling millions of copies a month, and we need to do this. And he didn't want to do that exactly, so he decided to make a family that was a superhero team sort of on the side. They were really explorers and adventurers and all the other things that happened to them happened as an output of what they did as a family. And that, again, there's an issue. It's issue 11. It's a day with the Fantastic Four. Mm. They sit around and open their mail. Mm. And it's interesting because you're interested in these people. And that dynamic of, as you're saying, the, mm. the different, every, it's, I think it might be Mark Wade in one of the documentaries describing that every relationship possible within sort of human society is within these four characters. Mm. You've yeah. got husband and wife and brother and sister and friends and rivals, and mm. and it's all there. And Stan was just really, really clever. Mm. In, a, in a way that I think they're trying, I've said this before, I think there are people who do want to change things to change mm. them, which isn't a good enough reason. No, it's not. And at some level, I had arguments with folks about this. I think there's a certain level in Hollywood who thinks that they are cleverer than the people who created these things. Mm. They didn't think of this. Mm -hmm. So I'll do this. I'll give Spider-Man organic web shooters. Right. Gee, where does he store it? (laughs) Does he have arms like Popeye to to shoot a webbing that can stop a subway train? Where does maybe I'm overthinking it, but they overthought the overthought. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's some of this here. Well, that was good, but we'll fix. Yeah, no fix. Do it. Just do it properly. And yeah, I'm sad. I'm really sad. I went really melancholy last night. I was posting sad music videos (laughs) last night. If only, if only all those years ago, Marvel had to sell the movie rights to to their biggest characters, we wouldn't we wouldn't be having these these issues. You know, you're talking about Jeremy and his. Uh, I saw some you of what you're back and yeah, forth, yeah. and Fox's Daredevil has its moments. Yeah, Elektra's awful. Mm. Some good performances, yeah. you know, but yeah. awful. No, it's awful. <laughs> uh, X-Men's not the X-Men, but yeah. the first two, the second one particularly is mm. a really good superhero yeah. one. First one's got some good stuff in it. Third one's miserable, and we know yeah. why. Wolverine, Origins, no. 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 Yeah. The last Wolverine, okay. Yeah. First class, yeah. excellent. Yeah. I don't know what Days of Future Past is going to be. We it looks interesting, yeah. but who knows? So their track record's pretty miserable. Yeah. My point to him was just that most of those movies you're mentioning happened 15, mm-hmm. 20 years ago, so it's tough to... 
I think pigeonholed them in, in into that. You, Agreed. You know what I mean? Uh, I do. Agree, I agree with you. Don't get me wrong. I, I, they've they've had the worst track record of any of the studios hmm. owning superhero properties. Um, yeah, their their positives as opposed to the negatives yes, are much smaller. Much yeah. smaller. Much much smaller. Uh, but they were also doing it at a time a lot more when I don't think they had figured it out yet, or anybody had really figured it out yet. Yeah, X Men. The first two yeah. were right there at the beginning. Yeah. And, and Sony, the Sony Spider Man movies, the same thing. So nowadays, though, and again, we talked about this back when the Avengers came out, right? There isn't an excuse anymore. There isn't an excuse. There isn't a, unless you have some amazing story reason to change things. And I'm willing to if that happens, I'm willing to come on here when it comes out and yeah. and, and say something. You you don't have to do it to do it anymore. You just don't. Um, Especially I'm, when you look at what Marvel is doing. What you said before, yeah. by hewing to a Silver Age tone in their book, heroic, mm-hmm. light, fun, but action, adventure, all the things that those Silver Age books through into the 70s were about, it's there and people flocked. Yeah, People who didn't like superheroes love the Avengers. Your mom yeah. wouldn't know superheroes from a hole in the wall except you read comic books, loves the Avengers, wants to see Thor and Captain America and, and run down all these movies. Also wants to see Guardians of the Galaxy right. as I showed her the trailer. Right. <laughs> it, it's just simpler to say, what are they doing right? Well, they're respecting the source material, making the tweaks they need to, but leaving the... the, the basics there and going for it and if you, again if they want to go edgy who are they going edgy for yeah no. and, and that's what i really don't understand if you were doing an edgy take if now you wanted to really do a live action dark knight returns mm. having there now been seven batman movies and show a live action ben affleck 50 something years old with you know cassie kelly and the whole rest of it great you're basing it off something. Now you're basing this off Jessica Alba and the rest of it. And those movies are dismissed as miserable because there's 40 minutes of good Fantastic Four in four hours of movie. Someone wrote, it was on John Byrne's site. Uh, they're obviously up in arms. I was on CBR, but there's a poll over there uh, about the casting. 10% love it, 28, 26% say wait, and 64% say they hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, at, well, over at CBR, which isn't bleeding cool, but it's still sort of an edgy joint. That um, you know, he he only bought. What you do is you buy the first Fantastic Four movie, the two disc set, throw the movie away, and watch the special features because there's a whole history and an hour about Jack Kirby. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's going to be interesting as we move forward. Is was this rushed into production to keep their license? And they didn't have an idea, and now that's why they're flailing around. I. It seems it like they seems had plenty way. of time, though, to come up with whatever it is that they're doing now. I mean, we've been hearing whispers about a Fantastic Four movie even before people were concerned about castings, even mm-hmm. before Michael B. Jordan was, you know, quasi announced as the Human Torch, and the whole world went crazy. Well, wasn't there as far back as we were doing Fanboy about the trade of? daredevil for galactus or something yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're yeah, trying yeah. to sort out yeah. the rights to some of these characters mm. who belongs to who yeah mm. i don't know i uh it's still it, it it angers me that disney didn't grab the fantastic four when oh, they were they, doing they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't they could have no they no. couldn't disney's got money it doesn't matter the, the, the <laughs> fox would have to sell it back to them yeah fox has it in as long as they keep making movies they have it in perpetuity their for deal, no money. Their deal never runs out as long as they keep making movies. Grr. Same deal they have with X-Men. The same deal they have uh, with, with Fantastic Four. Same deal that Sony has with Spider-Man. As long as they keep making Spider-Man movies, then the, the rights never go back to Marvel. Right. And so Fox is looking to 
definitely link these movies at some point. Yeah. I've read Millar saying yeah. that, that their idea is with X-Men and Fantastic Four, somewhere down the road, mm. you'll see them in each other's movies, so they yeah. can create their own little Marvel mini-universe mm-hmm. at when the hell? When the hell is that going to happen? Five years from now? Six? Who knows? But who cares? I, 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 I want to see the actual real movies before I see the, the crossover movie. Yeah. Yeah. doesn't make me happy to hear a crossover movie, especially because those two properties don't, don't make sense. Like, it's obviously happened before, but when I think... Yeah. I want to see a crossover. I don't think I want to see Fantastic Four and the X-Men. I just don't think of that. No. Fantastic Four Avengers was always fun. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, Not right. happening. So uh, we're going to wrap this discussion up right now. Um, While I dry my tears. Before we go on to Books of the Week, we're going to take a little mini break because uh, we're going to bring Stephanie on uh, and get her on for Books of the Week. Ooh. Right, we stepped away. We brought back with us a Canadian. Uh, Who's in America? In, in, she is in America. This time we're not letting you leave for real. America. <laughs> um, that's your anthem, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, our that's anthem. A, yeah. yes. it might be Chevrolet's <laughs> anthem, but it's the it's the uh, Team America World Police. America, fuck, fuck yeah! yeah. <laughs> See, I can do that. If that's your anthem. Fucking day, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait to play the Stick of Truth, man. Oh, yeah, the South Park game. Oh, six more days. Yeah, awesome. Woo! Um, so, Stephanie, welcome. Better late than never. Um, and just yeah. in time for us to do uh, Books of the Week. Wee! Uh, yeah. I read books. I know. <laughs> you read lots of books. Literacy. <laughs> so, uh, but I think because of what we just talked about before the break, which is the Fantastic Four movie casting, uh, we should probably start off right with Bob here because... Uh, Bob, when he emailed me with his books of the week, he told me he was going to talk about uh, Fantastic Four number 31 and 32. Is that right, Bob? Yes. So, and you mentioned the email, you know, specifically that it was to, you know, for you to talk about the the real kind of the meaning and what they mean to you, right? So why are these issues so prescient when it comes to what you talked about before and the displeasure with the casting in in the movie? Well, FF31, it follows the second annual. You saw Doctor Doom's annual in a big fight with him. Mm-hmm. Early in this issue, earthquakes all through New York and lots of bad stuff. Reed's going to figure it out. The Baxter Building's getting wrecked. Sue is looking at a newspaper and sees this odd photo and prison break, so-and-so and so-and-so. They actually print a whole bunch of stuff in mm-hmm. there. Reed and the boys go to investigate. She goes to talk to the police about what's going on. As the issue goes on, it's it, the Mole Man is doing bad stuff. He's dropping entire city blocks into subterranea. He wants to be left alone, and he figures he can get the Fantastic Four to help him do that because he finds Sue, realizes they're separate, mm. kidnaps her, drops a whole block, which she's in it, holds her hostage, ray gun to the head, sends the boys back. Get, you, by the way, keep everybody else off my back, or I'll take out your partner. She's saying, no. Guys, attack him. Get it over with. We can't do this. This is not how we operate, which is you know, pretty forward writing for mm. 1964 on Stan's part. We get up to the surface. The Avengers are there. Big fights. They come back. In the battle to leave, Sue gets gravely, gravely injured. They take her to the hospital. 
and doctor tells Reed, there's only one surgeon's ever performed this operation successfully, but uh, he's been missing for years. I, I heard Reed is, well, uh, no matter the cause, you, ha- you have to get him here. And Well, he was in prison, and he just escaped, and I don't think he's going to give himself up to save someone else. Shadowy figure walks from the other side. Uh, don't be too sure about that, doctor. It's Dr. Franklin Storm. It's her father, hmm. who's been missing for all these years. They get saved. I don't want to spoil too hmm. much of this. Into the next issue, you hear the story where young, you know, young Sue and young Johnny watch their dad go off. He's a world-famous surgeon to a medical dinner. Blowout, car accident. Wife gets badly injured. He can't save her on the table. Oh, you know, my own wife, my own wife is, is the line from the book. I'm, 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 I don't want to turn to a quote machine. I would, <laughs> I would. But he ends up in drink and gambling and in a fight shoots someone kills him, goes to prison, won't testify in his own defense, won't have the kids show up. It's just, I've caused enough grief mm-hmm. to you kids. So they go to visit him in prison. In between, he's been visited in prison by someone from the Skrull planet hmm. who replaces him. He's sitting outside with them, and they're talking to, to their dad. Oh, we'll, we'll have a, uh, a parole meeting. We'll get you out of here. You're a hero. You, you help save so and so forth. He stands up in, in the visitor's room. I don't need that. I don't need anything. I've spent time in prison. I made myself invincible. <laughs> Punches his way out of prison. <laughs> fights the Fantastic Four for an entire issue. They fight him. Then they fight each other because you can't. that's my father. Mm-hmm. You can't do this. And we get to the end of this. There's some other really deep stuff I'm not going to spoil because people should read these. I'm sure they're on the Marvel app. Mm. But to address your point specifically, it is the family dynamic that this book was always about. It is not just a team of heroes. We get to see who their parents were, where they got to that. As you pointed out, you know, Sue helped raise Johnny. Her, their parents were gone. They were orphaned right. for all intents and purposes when she was a teenager and Johnny was a little boy. You know, Aunts helped them and so on and so forth. And there was not another... I read this as an eight-year-old kid. I am sitting here with my actual copies from 50 years ago. These are the ones I bought mm. off the newsstand as a little boy, and they're not in such bad shape, all no. things considered. They're in better shape than some of my books. <laughs> you didn't fold them up and put them in your back pocket after you bought them? No, no. They, they, these were red. I mean, there are creases on the cover. There's some marble chipping along the edge of my FF31, but the colors are pretty good. And <laughs> yeah. Very solid books. These books, more than any in the series, I, I, I start at number five. A lot of books, a lot of issues were really great stories and lots of wonderful stuff. This hit me, and rereading these the other day, I got to the end of each of these issues and found myself in tears. Even there for all this time, and I know these stories mm-hmm. left and right with all the other announcements, I guess I was in a heightened emotional state. <laughs> but it's just, just you know, it's the... It's Stanley and Jack Kirby. It's Chickstone's inks. Uh, just before Kirby's art would really explode with Joe Sinner and a couple of uh, issues later. And it just speaks to me in a way that even comic books today don't. And that in the era where the other companies at this point, you, and you had a lot of them in Dell and Gold Key and DC, were doing superheroes. Mm. You know, Lois spent every issue trying to find out who Superman really was. Right, yeah. 
you know, Batman was still dealing with Batmite and all sorts of other stupid crap. They hadn't gone to the new look yet and certainly not to where they would eventually with Neil Adams and the rest of it. And Dell had stupid uh, Dracula as a superhero and mm-hmm. nonsense over there. This was, this is a novel. Mm-hmm. This, these two issues are, are in essence this little sort of, soap opera would be derisive to say it about it. This is a deep emotional book that, yeah, it was written for eight-year-olds. And I got something out of it, and as the years have gone on, I kept getting more and more out of it. And now as a real grown-up, mm-hmm. I just find these just touching and wonderful. As opposed to a fake grown-up. Yeah. I'm very often a fake grown-up. There's no, <laughs> we're, there's we're, no we're, disputing we that. Yes, yeah. We all definitely are. <laughs> the, 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 yes, so I, I will heartily recommend, from back to the October and November issues from 1964, uh, either they're in Masterworks, they're in... Mm. trade paperbacks you got lots of nice mole man got some monsters and the invincible man and scrolls and a human drama beyond what you think of in a superhero mm. comic book mm. there was something else going on here all the way back then awesome awesome um and to your, your other book bob and something that we're both going to share kind of a, a, as a as a very high on our list here um and something else that's that's pretty uh, characters that are also pretty special to you a- as well. I mean, I know you've told the story before about about them, but why don't you quickly, you know, tell people who the Metal Men are um, and, um, uh, you know, what kind of significance they have to you as a comic sure. book fan. My first comic book that I have any real memory of owning is Showcase number 37, which is the first Metal Men from Wally back in 1962. And I, what I've, the story I've told why I had to have this book, the cover of it is five robots fighting a giant flying manta ray who has laser beams <laughs> coming out of his eyes. Rock and roll. I mean, that is the kind of comic you want to buy when you're, you know, six years old. Mm-hmm. Inside, the story is by Robert Kaniger, who was an, originally an editor-writer at DC, and he took over for Dr. William Moulton Marston when he died. He, mm. he wrote Wonder Woman... Very badly for 17 years. <laughs> we made it a very conventional right. romance book and the, mm. the, the crap that, that everyone complains about. The book got better after mm. he left, frankly. Uh, and art by Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito, who also did Wonder Woman. Mm. So I actually started buying Wonder Woman after buying these metal men because, well, look, it's the same mm. art guy. So who, who knew who they were? <laughs> they didn't sign the things or right. didn't much. But Dr. Will Magnus creates these robots. It's lead, gold, mercury, iron, tin, and platinum. And they're human robots because they have something inside them called a responsometer, mm. which is what we see now in yeah. our new book. Yeah. And they are, in essence, the attributes of their metals is who they are as personalities. Mm. Gold, forthright, honest, so on, iron and lead, more burly mm. fighter guys. Mercury is hot-tempered, needless to say. <laughs> Tin has an inferiority complex. He's never quite good enough. And Tina just wants Dr. Will. <laughs> Her, she has a very faulty responsometer, and mm. there, there's always fighting about that. But what these characters have, and happen right away, they are self-sacrificing, heroic, despite the fact they, they have nothing and have nowhere to go to because they're just, they live in the lab. They do everything they can to save humanity and Dr. Will and mm-hmm. everyone. And this new Justice League 28... Justice League 28, which is what, what we're getting to here, which is the, is the Jeff yeah. Johns Forever Evil... Uh, just like just like book. It is absolutely spot on character. I was very concerned. I have to say, mm-hmm. going in because the the new DC universe is a dark, grim, foreboding mm-hmm. place. 
But as we've always talked about with Jeff Johns, who's really great pro- with second tier characters, and yeah. these guys are—I'm sorry, I love them, hmm. love them since I'm a little boy. They're fourth tier characters. Right. Who've been mo- there have been a couple of miniseries over the last fifteen years or so, generally not very good. He captures everything that was right about them. Mm-hmm. His Doctor Will's a little too young. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some government intrigue and uh, right. Doctor T. O'Mara's involved and so on and so forth. But he puts this all out in a way that is respectful and yet new at once. Mm-hmm. The characters are there. If they're they're a little too transformery, a little <laughs> too many things hanging around and mm-hmm. I absolutely adored this book. The art style really fitted. It is m- very light for yeah. current DC continuity. <laughs> I'm thrilled with this. I hope there are more of these. Yeah, me, me too. I gotta say, about because of how much I know you love the Metal Men, I wish Jeff Daisy was reading this book. But, and for the last six months, I have loved every issue of Justice League. The, and I wish Jeff Daisy because I was like, I don't know what this is going to be. I don't know how Bob's going to react to it. <laughs> and I read it, and, and I absolutely loved it. Um, and I said this too, I, I kind of written down, you know, uh, this in my notes, but, and we say this all the time with Jeff Johns, and it's going to be a little bit of a, a pun here, but talk about being able to take characters off the scrap heap and make them, and I, I wrote this down without even thinking about the Metal Men aspect yeah. of it, and then I, just when I was about to say it, I thought of it. Gold. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, very nice. Yeah, and, see, they just keep coming. And, and making them vibrant. Mm-hmm. This is this is the, a prime example of of his ability to be able to do that. Um they are, you know, entertaining, they're funny, but overall and above anything else they're heroic. And I I even love the dynamic they put on uh Magnus about why he doesn't want to put them back into action. You know, I mm-hmm. it, it's a really emotional reason and it's not what I expected. But it, it hit home for me when 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 Cyborg says to him, you know, you know, kind of breaks it down. Yeah. I, it, it hit home for me, you know, and I think it's a it's kind of a, uni- a universal thing that we can all identify with with people in our lives, you know, not wanting them to get hurt, not wanting them to leave us. Yeah. Like th- th- it, it, this is all there. Um, and, I, and similarly, the, the last moment, the last page, the last image is one of those like fuck yeah, yeah. moments, absolutely, which I can't wait to read. The next issue to see, you know, what happens. Um, well, what happens is we used to happen a lot mm-hmm. in that we hear, uh, right? Where they always, in their first adventure, they sacrifice themselves to coat the giant manta with mercury and lead and <laughs> yeah. tin, and it ends up in the water. And it's well, what are you going to do, Doc? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll bring them back, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, can the metal men survive? And so and so forth. And that was here. Those characters did mm. what they did 50 years ago and all the years in between. And I'm very, very happy with this. Yeah. I have to say, I hope it continues. I hope he writes yeah. a Middleman series. Yeah. I'd love to see a Mike Allred yeah. Middleman series. <laughs> uh, we also introduce, he's unnamed in this issue, mm. one of the Middleman's big bad guys who's from Showcase 39, Kemo, <laughs> who is a bunch of toxic waste poured oh, into a glass figure of a man a scientist who's so disgusted with his own mistakes he puts it there to remind himself of how stupid he is about what's going on except all of a sudden he as stanley miller's experiments at the university of california that you put enough chemicals in a beaker and put electricity through it amino acids form on the outside and Mm -hmm. shows where the prototypical ocean and life begins boy i'm getting deep here (laughs) 
earth science. But Kimmo goes berserk and starts wandering around and firing toxic breath at people and knocking down buildings and eating trains and... And they've got him in this issue. I was—I didn't know he was going to show up. <laughs> I was just thrilled, and there he is. Yeah. Are we not? Are we not lucky to have Bob? <laughs> We're very us? lucky. Seriously. Yeah. Reading this issue and and uh, seeing the the monster that comes out of the the chemical vats and stuff, I would have just assumed it's like the the dude of the week. Yeah. And that's that's what oh, he he's is. Big time. But mm-hmm. then Bob comes on the show he's like this guy already exists and here he yeah. is. This is the issue and this Look, is his origin and frying mercury into mm-hmm. little yeah, like, drops of nonsense that's, here. That's so cool. I mean I loved the issue as well and same thing that that Bobby had said that I really hoped that it was going to be awesome and I hope that even after I read it not knowing Bob's reaction to it that because I enjoyed it so much, that this was also what you are hoping for. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to the credit the artists, uh, oh. visually, I thought the book was really awesome. And particularly, all the different colors of yes, the Joe, Metal Men. Joe Prado? Yeah. No, Rod yeah. Rice is the colorist. Oh, Rod um, Rice is the colorist? Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But when they're, like, when they're in almost their liquid form, and they're all swirling around one another, it it's color all over the pages mm-hmm. when they're around. And for, in, like the darkness of the DC universe that's in most of the books. It was really good, especially with all the forever evil stuff going on. Mm. I mean, it's been grim shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, for them to, to come in and be all gold and blue and mm. silver and just swirling all around and uh, particle effects coming off of them. Uh, it was really pretty dazzling for, uh, for a DC comic and yeah. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was fantastic and I, it's so funny and so odd from what we've, we've talked about so many times in the last couple of years about events for this book and JLA to be finding their stride because of an event in the midst of an event. This is where these books have found their stride. It's absolutely when they've been their best. This issue and the last issue, uh, 27, which was which led issue, which was the cyborg kind of uh, the cyborg issue. They've both just been amazing, uh, emotional, beautiful, action packed. It's it just great. I was blown away, you know, reading this book. It's like I think it's the second week in a row that Just League book has been my my book yeah. of the week. I mean, it was my book of the week as as, as well. Yeah, this is one of my favorite DC books in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's just it's just fantastic. Um, and for all you folks, there are archive editions of the original Mailman. There are two mm. volumes of the hardcovers. I think they've done the mm. showcase black okay. and whites, but honestly, you don't want to see the Metal Men in black and white. <laughs> I'm sorry, they need to be in color. Mm. Um, it's funny too, reading this, I actually, I finally watched, uh, just like war over the weekend. Oh, uh, cause I wanted to get, I wanted to check it out. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't think it was very good at all. Um, I, I, I from you guys talking about it, my expectations were definitely like in the toilet. <laughs> so I watched it and I was, you know, the thing about me, like I watched it and I was like, this isn't good, but it doesn't bother me just cause it's not, I know this is not the way the characters are. I know this is not how they act. Um, uh, there were a couple things I liked about it. I, I thought they did Cyborg well in, in the mm-hmm. in the movie. I thought he, yeah, he was good. He was, I think, the 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 best came off the best at the end of, at the end of that. Um, and I, I was happy about him. Um, and I thought they did a pretty good job with Flash. Too. I thought Flash I was good. Too. I thought he was funny. I thought he was you know he was interesting. I thought he was cool. How about Green Lantern? We had people ask what you were going to think. Green yeah, Lantern. you know what? I felt like that, it's so weird. It was like schizophrenic because I felt like at times. He was Hal Jordan, and then at times I didn't know what they were doing. Like I didn't know. I don't. It might have been the the voice acting. It could have been the. I don't know because I thought some of the act, the act, like the the constructs and stuff, I thought were cool, and I thought that 
<clears throat> some of his hero moments where he kind of took charge, I, th- I thought worked. But there are times, yeah, where he just acted like an idiot. And I don't, th- I never think of Hal as an idiot. I think no. he's hot-headed and brash, and that gets him in trouble. And that was there as well, there, there too. But uh, that was why he was getting in trouble. He was getting in trouble because he was just wasn't thinking or he's being stupid or he didn't know things. And I, I found that to be a little bit like, it was just felt inconsistent to me. Um, I, I liked most of the Batman stuff. I didn't like the voice actor. I thought he was, he wasn't very good. Mm. Um, and Superman was kind of a non-entity to me in it. Like he was just the, like, he was just there to punch things and that yeah. was it. And I don't, I, I didn't get that. I didn't get why you would do that with that character there. Um, and the Wonder Woman stuff, it just it didn't feel it felt weird to me like it, I wasn't like offended by it I just it just felt weird I was like what, what? ice cream is wonderful what? <laughs> See, that thing didn't even bother me because I was like if that it was, if, me, if, if, if it was like her me. first week in the in the in the mm. human world she wouldn't know what ice cream was but it was just the it wasn't that she didn't know what ice cream was it was just that the way she was acting I live for battle yeah some of that stuff it just, and it wasn't the voice acting wasn't very good either no which was which was a shame you know I, I like some of those How about lines her googly eyes at Superman yeah that stuff was weird it's just yeah. weird to me those things are all weird they don't need to be in a, in, in the movie mm-hmm. um, I thought some of her stuff like I, 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 I thought some of the stuff some of the stuff she was doing like action wise I thought was cool and I thought that some of the like how she kind of rallied the team in in, in those action scenes I, I thought worked uh and I, I loved that line. I thought it was, you know, like, I, I think it was weird they brought Shazam in. Um, I didn't think he was particularly bad, but I, I thought it was a, a weird choice. And that's the thing about the movie. There's a lot of weird choices to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love that line when she goes, you're not a boy, you're a warrior. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was it was a cool little line there. But yeah, overall, it wasn't very good. I, it, it, it didn't offend me. I thought the action was good. I thought it, it was a little action overload at times. I thought it was a little bit too much. And the voice acting wasn't great, so that was the only that was the thing that bothered me. The voice acting is really the thing that got me down the most, honestly, because I think that a lot of times good voice acting can overcome sometimes you know spotty writing, and it mm. just didn't have the good voice acting. Did you see that effect that I was talking about when they were all getting sucked? Yeah, yeah, to the yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw, yeah. I, saw, I only noticed it because you pointed it out. <laughs> so terrible. Um, but anyway, that's but but reading this, I was like, wow, like this, uh, the cyborg stuff especially, but just like the tone of this is just so wonderful, and I'm so happy this is the Justice League we're getting right now. Um, Stephanie. Yes. There you are. <laughs> Hello. Hello. So, well, first, um, let's talk a little bit about The Punisher number two. Oh, that is the thing I read. It is the thing you read. Uh-huh. Uh, from Nathan Edmondson and Mitch Garrods. Is that his name? Garrods? Garrods. Garrods. You know, I've... Old Mitchie G. Um... You know, like, I had a, we had him at FablesCon last year, and, like, I know him, and I still have not bothered to ask him. How to hmm. properly say his last name. Ouch. <laughs> so, you were saying a few weeks ago from the first issue that you enjoyed it, um, and it was your kind of your first foray into the, the Punisher. How did the second issue hold up for you? I think it's good. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I'm still tiptoeing into um, the Punisher, and I didn't read any more of the Rucka stuff yet because the last couple of weeks have been crazy um but you know like i read this and it it i don't know if it's i think i said this before but i don't know if it's a true adaptation of what we're used to in the punisher but i like it like i like his gruff kind of style and what he's trying to achieve um there's there's this great line in it uh, about halfway through, and it kind of perfectly summed up my vision of what the Punisher is. Um, and it was something along the lines of, you know, he's chasing down a bad guy, and uh, it's, you know, I, I just you know, 
shitty humans. <laughs> yes. And the thing, uh, you know, his narrative at the top is too dangerous for their cop for the cops, and then it's but too small time for the superheroes, mm. and like that kind of is perfect that sums up what he does yeah like he doesn't have superpowers mm -hmm. you know and he's not trying to protect the cops obviously like everything he does is kind of his own personal beefs and what he's kind of choosing to you know take out his anger out on but at the same time when he does choose it like it's interesting to me that you know, the way that they portrayed it in that book, because, like, that really does sum it up. It's stuff that the superheroes wouldn't bother with, but it's stuff that would easily get cops killed. Sure. And, you know, because they aren't able to do the things that Frank is willing to just do. He's willing to just shoot people and do what needs to, you know, be done to put an end to what these people are doing. I'll end you. <laughs> yeah, I'll punish you. <laughs> anyways but um like it it just perfectly it encapsulated what he is to me um you know as a vigilante i suppose mm -hmm. um and this issue it's just it, it's slowly building up there the the reveal from the end of the first issue uh we get a little bit of a glimpse of that and kind of you know that's gonna come to a head soon uh but i mean it's frank mm. what's are they gonna kill him <laughs> probably not probably no. not no he'd probably be fine because then it would be a really short series <laughs> it's a, a mini series, series. yeah <laughs> but um yeah like i think the art's phenomenal i think mitch does like a spot-on job with it, it it's a, like it's a bit more um like the colors are a little flatter than i think I'm used to, like, I kind of look, I just picture him being really gruff, and I kind of picture, like, almost, like, kind of a dirty, hmm. like, look to the art when I think of, like, the Punisher, but it's kind of, like, clean, and the colors are very, you know, well-placed and everything, and that's not anything bad against the art, it's just the way it is. Well, he's yeah, out the, in L.A. now, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, the colors are actually one of my favorite aspects of the No, book. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, like, it's just, like, it's a lot... I don't know. But anyways, yeah, and no, there's but, like great yeah. shout out sort of Hawkeye in the book too. Like mm. Punisher totally is wearing a Hawkeye shirt <laughs> in like his off time. Yeah. When I'm not wearing skulls, <laughs> I'll wear Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, you're, but Seven, you're right about the, the art and the colors. It's speaking of the last Punisher run, it couldn't be night and day different than the Rucka stuff. The Rucka stuff is exactly, I mean, Chichetto is the artist obviously on, on that run, but the, that art is exactly what you're talking about. You know, very like dirty. dirty and dirty. Yes, exactly. And this is brighter, and I think that's probably intentional. They wanna they wanna do something a little different. Moving to California obviously takes the hmm. the palette to a different place. Um, that line you said though, Stephanie, that's in the in the book. It, it that's a great line. I mean, I think that that encapsulates who the Punisher is very very well. You know, too big for the cops, too small time for the superheroes. Um, Steve, did you read this issue? I did, and actually, um, the line right here is. Uh, there is a strata of villains too dangerous for the cops, okay. but not big enough for the superheroes. Yeah, it's a great line, and that does really encapsulate who the Punisher is. Yeah. Uh, Steve, did you read this issue? Yeah, I'm super, super enjoying it. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of the... I, first of all, I got a huge kick out of the Hawkeye shirt. Mm. Just really funny that he's wearing that in like <laughs> 77 time off. Uh, a lot of... I'm, I'm digging the tone of it, 
But honestly, a lot of what's driving this book for me is the artwork. Mm. I really, really like the artwork and particularly the colors. Mm. I love the the green when he's looking through the night vision stuff. Um, the movement from from night to day when it's you know sunny California, and uh, it's just it's gorgeous. Mm. It's gorgeous. It reminds me of a lot of the other Marvel books that are are big and bright right now, and uh, just creating a very different tone from the Rucka stuff. I I like. I didn't want another Rucka run because I felt like to me the the Rucka run was it was so damn good. It was so good. But I I like it on its own. Not to say that somebody can't do another gritty, grimy Punisher story, but I wanted a change because I felt like I had that grimy Punisher story. And now let's try something else. It's supposed to be Marvel now. It's supposed mm. to be new. Show me something new. And that's exactly what they're doing. Um, between this and Black Widow, like we're getting two really cool character-driven stories. And there's a huge surprise at the end of this issue that really just threw me through a loop. Going, like, what the hell are they doing here? <laughs> so I, I'm really anticipating issue number three. And uh, yeah, I, I was I was sketchy on this when they announced it. I wasn't really, you know, too excited to be picking it up. But but now, uh, yeah, I'm definitely pumped for it. For me, I, I didn't pick up the second issue because the first issue didn't didn't sell me on a, on a character that I'm always very hit or miss on. Mm-hmm. Um, what I kind of and again, this is this is nice to want things. What I wish the book was like is I wish it was like Black Widow, except with the Punisher. That's kind of what I wish it was, that sort of tone. Uh, but obviously it's not. But I'm glad to hear that you guys are enjoying it. Um, Stephanie, is there anything else you want to say about the Punisher before we go on to your next book? I just want to see him punish things. <laughs> good, good, nice way to leave it. Uh, <laughs> so the other book, which is actually not – it's coming out today. It's on, it's on shelves today. Uh, is Deadly Class number two. I fucking loved Deadly Class number one. Uh, probably my favorite number one of the year so far. Uh, what do you think of number two? It's so good. <laughs> so I apologize because, yeah, normally it's our books of the last week, mm-hmm. but I got ahead of myself mm-hmm. and decided to read things that... Anyways, it's really good. So, like, the first issue sets up, you know what's going on and it doesn't do it in a really overwhelming here's all of this here's all of this kind of way like it does it really kind of systematically and it's just really well done it's well paced the characters are good and like there's a lot of mystery left to them they're not trying to throw a ton at you and the second issue is like i i I kind of have to do like hopefully you've read a little bit of the first issue but basically you know the the general plot of this without giving a lot of weight is this homeless kid who has like a lot of stuff happen to him he winds up uh being recruited for a school for assassins um and he agrees to be a part of this school so that he can get his revenge uh based on some stuff that we saw in the first issue um and it was just so awesome like it, it the character is so just badass without actually being, you know, kind of that cliche, typical, in-your-face badass. Like, you know, going to beat up, like, the biggest guy in the street to kind of, or in the school to kind of prove himself or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's just more or less trying to blend in um, in his own way. And because of what's happened to him in his past, people know about him. And 
you know, they, they, they're just really either, you know, think he's full of shit or, you know, curious and kind of scared too. Anyways, but it's high school more or less. And there's another great line in that too. I keep on finding these like awesome one-liners in these books that I've been reading the past couple of days, but you know, he's in school and he's evaluating all these cliques around him. I mean, anyone who's gone to school knows cliques. Ugh. <laughs> or anybody who lives, period. There's yeah. cliques everywhere. But, you know, he's looking around and the people are looking at him and kind of judging him. And in his own personal uh, narrative, it says, you know, this this place is no different from anywhere else. The only difference is, is the dagger they'll stick in your back is real. <laughs> Ooh. And uh, I was just like, I like that. Hmm. And uh, they they find obviously like at this point they're kind of needing to introduce a little bit more of the story and who everyone is, and they do it in a really good way. Like uh, it's not too it's all broken down on one page, so it's not spread out through the entire book, and you know it's not overwhelming because it's just there for you to absorb, and you know just. If, if you need to like look at that and kind of study the characters to see where they fit in in the book when they pop up elsewhere, you know, it's, it's awesome. Um, you don't have to flip back and forth. And uh, it, it was a, it is probably one of the first books I've read in a while that the second issue is just as good as the first. Like mm-hmm. Deadly Class number one was pretty much a perfect issue number one. Mm-hmm. And this is the perfect follow up to it. Awesome. So, I can't say enough good things about it. If you haven't read it yet, um, that's I'm justifying this by, you know, it's issue number two, and mm-hmm. it comes out today. So, if you haven't read it, when you go to the store, you should get number one and number two. Because, seriously, it's hands down one of my favorite comics that's coming out right now. And I know that's only two issues in, and I hope that isn't overhyping it, because I hope it keeps up, you know, mm-hmm. the awesome. But Rick and Remender has been doing great stuff lately. So yeah. Uh, also hitting the shelves today, along with deadly class number two is reprints of deadly class number one. Nice. So See? there you go. There you go. Perfect. perfect timing. It's a Rick Remander kind of day. Cause black science number five comes out or number four comes out. Oh yeah. Number well. four. Number four. So. Which is also going to be good. Yeah. It's What's be great. with you being in the future? <laughs> huh? Reading our review copies. Wow. <laughs> I, gotta, I, I predict gotta get on that, that Rat Queen's number five might be really don't good even, too. Don't even, don't even. I am so jealous of you for having read that. <laughs> I want to read that so bad. Just predicting things. Just predicting. I'm predicting. I don't know. It could be terrible, but <laughs> it might really be good, and there might be a really good thing at the end. Shush. <laughs> Just shush it up. Quiet. God damn it, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I swear I'm done. Um, so that was Punisher number two. And Deadly yes. Class, number two. Like number two. I and saw something online. Something Somebody said that Gary's on the cover of every Rat Queens if oh, you really? look for him. I don't know <laughs> if it's true, but I thought it was just a funny thought. Yeah, that was one of my favorite moments. I think, was it last issue or the issue before that? I think it was the last issue. He's like, yo, Gary told us that. Yeah. It. God damn it, It reminded Gary. me of um, the whole shut the fuck up Donnie from yeah. uh, Big Lebowski mm. kind of joke. Mm. I saw uh. I still, um, oh can I just say like something really, really quickly too? And I know it's just I I didn't mean to start a thing about Rat Queens, but they Breaking just the launched rules. like a thing about their new merch, and like they did a Rat Queen social club the other day mm. where they announced like merch, and somebody was like, "Oh, are you not going to do men stuff?" La la la. And Curtis did this really awesome thing where he posted on his Tumblr like this person asked 
via his ask box on Tumblr. And um, the person, or Curtis responded, you know, there's enough men's stuff out there. Women don't ever get women's sizes and things for comic book stuff. You know, they have to like resort to getting like a men's small or mm-hmm. if they even make men's smalls because everything comes in men's medium to like triple XL. Even and medium he finally was like, you know, know what? Like maybe we'll do men's stuff and we probably, like, we probably will do men's stuff. But, you know, first and foremost, we're catering to the people we wrote this book to cater to. Nice. Awesome. And I was like, seriously? I want to hug you. <laughs> I want to hug you via the internet. Internet hug. Go buy some Rat Queen's merchandise. Mm-hmm. That's the. I want a Betty shirt. Here. That's what I want. <laughs> Let's get stabby. <laughs> I want like the the logo. Mm, awesome. But anyways, I I didn't mean to get off on a it's tangent. Okay. There. I just thought that was really awesome of them. So when it comes out, you should support them. I I sent them a tweet and I was like, take all of my money. <laughs> Um, and so we go back to it because I know we didn't really repeat them before. It was Justice League number 28 was the book that Bob, oh, and, yes. I, Bob and I were talking about. All right. So, Steve, what the hell <laughs> is the White Suits number one? White Suits number one is a brand new number one. It's actually this. Uh, the White Suits was featured, I believe, in Dark Horse Presents. Uh, the anthology. Yeah. Yeah. Before it made its way to uh, this number one of four. So it's going to be a miniseries by Frank J. Barbieri. And uh, art by Toby Cypress. Um, for those of you that do know or don't know, uh, Frank J. Barbieri is the writer of uh, was it Fabian Gray and the no. yeah yeah Five Ghosts Five Ghosts yeah. of Fabian Gray the Five Five Ghosts the Haunting of Fabian Gray There you go it's yeah really good the yeah, long the long which is really title. good yeah yeah no I, I read the first trade of it and it was it was very cool um, so what the white suits part of it's funny you asked me what the what the hell the white suits are all about. The book is about what are the okay. white suits. We're not supposed to know. Okay. Um, so let me go to my thing. All right. So basically, the, the premise is a man wakes up. He's wearing one of the white suits. Uh, he wakes up with amnesia after being shot in the head. So he is waking up and finding out that this town or this city is at war with itself where there's a new there's a new like faction or a new mobster clan known as the white suits that have come into this city and are looking to take over the whole thing lock stock and barrel and all the existing mobsters and gangsters and low lives of the city say this is ours you can't have it but the white suits appear to they they come from out of nowhere uh they seem to be this unstoppable force and basically everybody Everybody that's supposed to be a badass is shitting their pants uh, over this new presence inside the city. So the guy that wakes up with amnesia, he's wearing one of the white suits and he doesn't remember why. So he doesn't understand why he, he wakes up in this position where I'm on the side of the white suits of this mysterious you know, gang and I don't even know who they are. I don't know what I'm fighting for. I don't know why I'm supposed to be upset. Why do we want the city? To what end? And there's this girl who's been following him for a couple of weeks, and he, she's got answers. Let's just let's just mm. leave it at that. And uh, by the end of the book, they come together, and and it's basically it's going to be a mobster mystery story, uh, you know, that unfolds over the course of of four issues. And uh, the thing that I I like about it, it's fun, it's grimy, and it has like potential to be like a highly stylized like I said like mobster mystery story but 
Um, the thing that really got me and what made me pick this up, I actually had the book Undertow from Image under mm. uh, number one in my hand, and I read about half of it, and it was all right, but I feel like I have other stuff that's like that, mm. so I passed and wound up grabbing this because uh, if you are a fan or know of the favorite comic book covers of the week or you know uh, Bobby, his taste as well, mm. black, white, and red oh, t- together yeah, yeah. <laughs> is just... We share that, and it's yeah. it's one of the best color combinations mm. for and the white stripes use it, mm. and you know the the vertigo poster, and just it's a very stark color combination that I absolutely love. It's very pleasing uh, to me. So I open this up, and if anybody that's listening is familiar with or a fan of the artist Ralph Steadman, uh, Ralph Steadman is famous for a lot of his work inside of Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, as well as working with Hunter S. Thompson with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and just various other art projects. He does these wild, kind of like drippy, speckled, blown out uh, caricatures of famous people and bizarre creatures and and lounge lizards and really, really just out there. Like if, if somebody's bleeding, it's almost as if he took like an ink bottle and just kind of tipped his pen at it and it tipped over spilled all across the you know page in a pool and he just blew on it a little bit to bleed it out and then left it that way um if you've been picking up night of the living deadpool specifically number two that cover is still right now my favorite cover of the year so far that is directly Mm. ralph steadman artwork um, so this book is like hyper, hyper stylized. Um, I'm assuming that Tony Cypress is, or Toby Cypress is a huge fan of Ralph Steadman because his, his work is, you know, it has its own flavor and it, it's, it's, it's got its own personality to it. Uh, particularly in more of like the, the darker bar or club scenes, but when it comes to action, it's it's got that splashed all over it and makes for a really visually uh wild and pleasing comic book page and um i mean even if the story was paper thin i would be picking this up just mm. based on the artwork i love it that much awesome yeah uh really really cool stuff there's other colors i don't want to make it sound like it's just those three colors the whole thing there are other colors in the book uh, a lot of oranges and greens and what's really cool is that when those colors come into the story, they really, really pop. So if like a gun goes off, the muzzle flare will be, you know, bright green mixed with a little bit of yellow and just creates almost this like sunfire coming out of coming out of the machine guns and the Uzis and such. And um yeah, it's just it's a it's a mobster story, kind of memento ish, shrouded in mystery thing that it's only going to be four issues or maybe they'll mm-hmm. they'll have another mini series after this if it sells well uh but really intriguing stuff you know if um kind of remembering uh masks and mobsters that was on mm-hmm. monkey brain and comiXology a yeah. little while back and it it feels like that on steroids or acid <laughs> <laughs> you, you, or both either or one. both you choose either one so, uh, so yeah, so that was The White Suits by Frank J. Barbieri with art by Toby Cypress. And it's from Dark Horse Comics. Cool. Um, yeah. Next up, I have a question about the next book as well. Yes. Uh, it's uh, Thor, which mm-hmm. it's, was it all new? 
It's uh, all new, all now. Was it, what number is it? Nineteen. <laughs> this is nineteen point, point now. Okay, nineteen point now. Um, before you begin the specifics of the issue, mm-hmm. the, these point now issues are, are also labeled number ones. You know, uh, in, in duality, how to tell people this is the issue you can start reading now. You don't have to yes. go back and, and read more. Yeah. Is Thor nineteen point now an issue that someone who's not reading Thor can pick up and read it and, and get on with the story? Yes. Okay. Cool. Absolutely. Nice. Um, and I'm going to get to this mm. in in the next few minutes in my review. Um, absolutely, like a hundred percent, you can totally pick this up and jump on. Um, it's called the the first part of the last days of Mid- of Midgard is the new arc. But uh, and I'll get to this if I do recommend. If you can manage to find Thor, God of Thunder, Jason Aaron, uh, issue number 12, it's a really, really great companion issue to where this story jumps off from. And I'll, like I said, I'll get to that in a second. So uh, let me just bring up my notes. La, la, la. Start taking notes for these podcasts. <laughs> they help. They really do. So, okay. So, like I said, God, uh, God, God of Thor. God of Thor. God of Thor. <laughs> oh God. Thor, God of Thunder, number 19 point now, uh, reintroduces us to Agent Rosalind Solomon. She is a shield environmental uh, scientist who half jokingly put out an invite on a dating site to Thor, asking him uh, to accompany her to this like shield company wow. not picnic, but like soiree, like uh, like the shield prom. If you will, <laughs> and uh, so of course Tony don't come in the same dress as Maria Hill, right? Yeah, but Tony, Tony Stark, being you know the the ladies' man that he is, I imagine he has probably a feed or things are flagged when in these dating sites because you know he likes to get around. Uh, found this invite and pretty much set up Thor recommended to him that he go and attend this this party with this woman, and he shows up. And she's kind of like, I, that was like a joke. I did not expect for you to be here. And he's like, show me this thing that you call dancing. And I like it. And, you know, just all these funny little moments. And, but what's really cool is that you, you meet her and she seems like one of the, one of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s, you know, background people. She's just somebody that works in a lab or works at the computer. And she's just that. She is not that. She is very brazen and very um like a go-getter and wants answers and she reminds me a little bit of maria hill in in a a a more sciencey aspect not so much the the commanding taking over for nick fury or stand in for nick fury kind of thing but she's very calculated and she does not take no for an answer um so that's a really that's a Mm. nice compliment for thor um so anyway uh in this in in that same issue now I'm I'm sorry I'm speaking of issue number 12 um I'm going to get to to 19 in a second but in issue number 12 uh it also deals with reuniting Thor with Jane Foster who at this point in the story uh or in her I guess in her lifespan as a character is very very sick she has cancer um she's lost her hair she's wearing a bandana and her 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 life is her spark for life is kind of dwindling or, or blowing out at this point and uh it's a very 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 heartfelt issue of thor kind of giving her one last cosmic adventure 
to give her, you know, another happy memory before she becomes too sick to travel with him. Mm. Um, so that's all in the same issue of him attending this party with Agent Solomon. And the thing that I'm wondering is now that we're at 19 point now, and this is kind of the jumping off point, we're reintroduced to Agent Solomon and Thor together again. And they already have this history from issue number 12. So my question is, is Jason Aaron going to be possibly at some point in his run of Thor, because he's been on this book for a while now, are we maybe going to get the death of Jane from him? Hmm. And this Agent Solomon will be like a mainstay as Thor's new lasting girlfriend Hmm. for a time. Is that that what he's setting up? Right. Um, So... That's really where the focus is for me of this issue of why I enjoyed it so much. Mm-hmm. It's her going after. There's a guy um, named. Let me see. Uh, Nineteen sees uh, sees them back together and going against Dario Agar. He's the CEO of Roxon Energy, and he's up to no good. Well, that's visiting- a bad company. Yeah, yeah. Well, from way back. Yeah. Well, he's visiting Alaska. And he's oh, pipelines and oil. Oh, this right. is not going to be good. Right. So he's you know there's submarines in the water and they're they're disturbing the the wildlife and he's got this like just he's oozing this villainly nasty gross demeanor but he's being so proper and nice mm-hmm. and he's got all the paperwork and he's he's allowed to be there and he's entitled to be there and they're doing good things but you don't believe him. You don't no. believe him for a second because he's the bad guy. Yeah. So and he disturbed the buffalo. <laughs> but you get you get Agent Solomon like challenging him, and instead of Thor just coming in and waving his hammer everywhere, she's pretty much the shot caller, and he's there as a friend and as backup. But you can see that there's a there's a bond between them. I mean, the, I, the that he even shows up is she's underneath the water. Something goes wrong, and for just a split second, like she feels like she's going to die, she prays to Thor for just a moment. She thinks of him, and he shows up. Hmm. So there's obviously some kind of Bonnie heard her prayer. They come in, they kick ass, and it just it kicks off what I have a feeling is going to be a really magnificent arc or new story. Because I'll tell you this, we were talking about last pages uh, a couple times tonight. The last page of this my jaw dropped. <laughs> Somebody shows up. Something happens that I was just like, no shit, bring it on. <laughs> and I I freaked out. So anybody that's been reading Thor, I'm sure that you're listening to this and you're flipping out as well and nodding your head. Anyone that is, is not reading Thor, God of Thunder, this is the perfect, perfect time to jump on. And I wholeheartedly recommend that you do because this whole run's been amazing. This next story, I have a feeling, is going to be off the wall. Awesome. So there you go. And Esau Ribic is back on art, mm. which is always good. Awesome. Yes. Cool. Very nice. Um, so I talked about one of my books of the week already, but I want to definitely, before we get out of here, talk about uh, uh, Daredevil number 36, which is uh, the, the, the finality of this, this volume of Mark Wade and Chris Samney's uh, Daredevil. And I don't, want, I don't want to talk too much about the ins and outs of this particular issue because... It's really a wrap-up issue, and there was a huge thing that happened at the end of issue 35 that rolls into this issue and kind of leads to noble him leaving and going to California, which we know is, is the, the next 
the next series. Um, I will read a, uh, actually a couple lines from this issue though, because they're just I think they're kind of perfect. But looking back uh, on th- this run that he he's done, you know, when we first started this, we always say that we were only doing DC books, and there were very few other books I was buying, and I I kind of waited into that was a bad pun again, which yeah. is not was not meant to at all. I had ventured in to reading some Marvel books, but nothing had really grabbed me yet. And I'd heard that Wade Daredevil was great. So I picked up issue six, but issue six was the end of an arc. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of confusing for me. I didn't really know what was going on. Um, but then issue seven happened. And issue seven is the one-off issue where Matt is in the, the bus accident with the, yeah. Yeah, the blind children. The snow, yeah. And they're turning to the snow, which is still one of my favorite issues of a comic book I've ever read after all the books we've read over the last couple of years. And it was not only my gateway into Daredevil, it was my gateway into reading Marvel books in general. That That's what it was for me. It was the beginning of that. So it, it stands very important for that reason for me. And then what we've had is 36 issues of, you know, dealing with what we call small stakes, right? If Matt Murdock doesn't do what he's trying to do, the world doesn't end. But... Foggy Nelson might die, you know, or uh, someone he cares about might get hurt. And it, it, it just seems to matter more because there are stakes that I, you can identify with and, and believe in. And using the stakes of the character over the stakes of the world uh, makes all the difference here. You know, the, the, the book, and rightfully so, has been, you know, pointed out for its, its tone and the fact that it was, it had, it had a sense of fun to it and, and was you know, a good time to read. But the, the the genius of what Mark Way did was he didn't change the circumstances in which Matt was in. Matt was is still dealing with a ton of bad stuff happening around. His life is one of tragedy, and that's just that's just what Matt's life is. But he did change the way that Matt reacted to the way that his, his surroundings were, and that made all the difference in what the book was about. All of a sudden, <clears throat> these horrible things could happen, but because you had a character who was was positive and optimistic you all of a sudden had a book that was positive and optimistic and a book that was about people overcoming things and not just being buried by the bad things in their life which i i I thought was just amazing i i'm and i i loved how he really emphasized that man without fear slogan and what it really meant for matt and what it really meant for daredevil and who he was uh there was you know there are moments i remember there's like the moment in he gets kidnapped by Doctor Doom, and he's he can't his senses are gone. He can't none of his senses. He's just blind guy, and that's the one moment where he says, "I'm afraid." And that was a really uh. it was a deep moment. It was a little one thing, but it, you know, it, it was a really affecting thing. I mean, there's the there's the the moments with I can't, I think his name is Akiri, which is this person they created with the same way that he became Daredevil, but could see. So it's kind of Matt's biggest. You know, biggest nightmare really is his powers, but he but he has the power of sight as well. <clears throat> and by being patient and and being resourceful and 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 being smart, Matt beats him. And I love that. I love that Matt faces down his biggest foe in a way that we haven't seen before. I thought it's one of the, my favorite issues of, of the entire last year. There's those few one-offs. There's the there's the all red one with which involves um, Hank Pym and. Matt getting to see his father fight, and it's very, very emotional uh, as well. <clears throat> and and look, the book always had great art. Um, even the first the first bit of the run with Marcos Martin and some of the people they had on there was great art. But 
I mean, the book becomes what it was, and I think became a whole other level when Samney became the regular artist, and it really became their book. You know, not just Wade's mm-hmm. book. I mean, and I I don't know if I think I can think of a more perfect artist than Chris Samney. I think that he just does everything well. You know, he does fun, light stuff well. He he does emotional stuff incredibly well. He does action well. I mean, the the book looks as good as it's written, and, and mm-hmm. it, it's amazing in, in that way. <clears throat> I am excited to see where they go next with this this California stuff. I mean, I, I I'm gonna miss New York. I'm gonna miss the intricacies of it. I'm gonna miss the way he, his relationship with the city. But it also folds out a whole new set of things that he can deal with. Um, obviously, we've been dealing with um, a lot of stuff over the last you know year really with Foggy Nelson having cancer, and uh, that what Matt decides to do here. And I mean, it's at the end of the last issue, but Matt decides to tell the world that he's Daredevil in order to <clears throat> undercut someone trying to blackmail him. Because mm-hmm. uh, the guy's basically like, I'm going to tell people you're Daredevil if you don't, if you don't, you know, win this case for my crook of a son. And Matt goes, all right, well, I'm just going to tell people I'm Daredevil then. That's what he does. <laughs> well, people have been guessing <clears throat> at that. Right? I know, which for is months, funny, so which funny, is the yeah. whole, the whole run has uh, been about. Yeah. Killing me right now with the way you're bending that book. Has man. been about, I don't care. Oh, I care. <laughs> this is the way I read comics, Steve. Oh, Jesus. I do not care about the physical book at all. Oh. Um, so, uh, there's been, there's really like 6 million of these in print. Uh, I know, but that one's yours. I know. It's, I don't care. <laughs> these, these single issues are going to get sold away. And I'm going to buy trades eventually. So it doesn't even matter to me. Right on. Um, so back to the important part, which is the yeah. content of the page, not the paper it's printed on. Um, so he's, we get a flashback to before he admits that he's daredevil to him talking to foggy about making this, uh, this declaration and this conversation they have is so quintessentially everything that's Daredevil. Um, you know, uh, Foggy asks if the idea of him saying he's Daredevil, if it's going to work. Um, and Matt says, I bet my life on it. And Foggy says, then why hesitate? And Matt says, I'm betting yours. Uh, and what Foggy says to him is just, it's so, it's so amazing because it's both why both characters are so fantastic. And he says, this plan, it's so perfectly Matt. It's audacious, it's gutsy, and it's it's the right thing to do. And Matt says, you'll lose your livelihood, you'll lose your insurance, and you'll and your care plan. We'll have to start everything from scratch. And he says, that doesn't scare me. And Matt says, knock it off. And he says, okay, it scares me to death. I want to live, Matt. And Matt says, then I'll come at it from a different angle. And he says, I'm not finished. I want to live. But he says, you're not perfect. Sometimes you can be a real jerk. Not on purpose, just Sometimes. But no matter what, you're a man of integrity. That's your defining characteristics. You can't see this, but it comes off you so strong that I've watched Avengers be intimidated by it, be inspired by it. Your integrity carries a weight you can't imagine. It has meaning. He says, when, when I lie here, all that keeps rolling around in my head is a question, is the question. What did my life mean, Matty? Because I'll tell you this. If Matt Murdock ever compromises his integrity, thanks to me, then the answer is my life meant nothing. So, <laughs> boosh. Awesome yeah, <laughs> it's it's who those both those characters are so perfectly, yeah. and it's an amazing. It's a great way to end the book. It's not this earth shattering issue, but it's a perfect way to end the book, and it makes me really excited to see what's coming next. And right now, actually, re- digitally, they released this kind of <clears throat> this thing that's going on between, like it's kind of a road trip. It's called Daredevil Road Warrior. Ooh, wow! It's an infinite comic. It's written by Wade with art by Peter Krause, who's like his uh, his thrill bent partner. Uh, 
and it's gotten reviews already. Apparently, it's fantastic. I haven't had a chance to read it. It came out today. We just I went from work to recording, but really amazing stuff. Can't wait to see what comes next, but it's just amazing. Um, and that's Daredevil number 36. Woo. Read all the rest of them if you haven't read them yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's literally the best. It is. It, <laughs> I mean, now now that it's it's done, it's definitely up there and, and one of the greatest runs I've ever read. Yeah. Like, at least top five, if not mm. top three. It's phenomenal. Yeah. So um, we took a little break for Stephanie to kind of come into the, the picture. So we're going to roll right into listener uh, listener questions here. All right. Um, uh, <laughs> you okay? Yeah, carry on. <laughs> um, so we Twitter and Facebook and the forums we got questions from. Um, and so I wanted to ask uh, some of these. Uh, here we go. Um, so this is from Nick. And he says, what have each of you learned from making the Talking Comics podcast? Stephanie, why don't you go first? How to lunge. <laughs> um, for realsies, what have I learned? Um, <clears throat> I think, like, this has just taught me that you can't love everything. And, you know, like, it's taught me the value of even if you follow a creator or, um, you know, an artist or a writer, if you're not liking what they're doing, you don't need to support them. You don't need to throw money into a book that you don't enjoy it's okay to love an artist or a writer's work but not love something that they're doing new like it doesn't i don't know you know like it's just Mm -hmm. one of those things where you need to pick and choose what you want to read because there's so much out there that you want to check out and it's something that for people like us that want to read so much it's a lesson that comes kind of hard Mm. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely bob i learned about the world beyond the big two <laughs> quite frankly through recommendations from you fine folks sitting here in the room and stephanie certainly and our listeners and readers that there are little wonderful books hard to find sometimes hard to get collections of because they sell little tiny amounts <laughs> but they're out there and they're out there in trades so it's things like adventures of superhero girl or to run and say, wow, I want to go find some more web comics, mm. or I want to read Five Ghosts that, mm. that you lent me, or, or I Kill Giants. Mm. And it's just, mm. uh, as, as much as I still love superheroes, and that's going to always be my focus, mm. those other things are such a wonderful palate cleanser mm. that it's sort of like reading a real book. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> wow, this is different and refreshing and wonderful. Mm. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Steve? What haven't I learned? <laughs> what haven't I learned? Um seriously it's it's been a ride it's been an experience it's been something i mean the show has grown as we've grown mm. we've grown as as reviewers as as internet personalities as friends as you know compatriots in a uh a project that we hope to only make it bigger and better as time goes on but uh i've learned i didn't read very many comics mm. when we started this you know i was i was the batman guy mm. i was a guy that loved batman because batman was who i grew up with and i only read batman and maybe i read you know a couple of zenoscope books and because i loved you know alice in wonderland and that was mm. the only alternative alice in wonderland that i knew of or the grimm's fairy tales i grew up reading grimm's fairy tales mm. oh there's there's comic books that are based on dark versions of 
you know, stories like, love, let me check these out. And then Lenore, the, you know, the cutest little dead girl and just Johnny the Homicidal Maniac and going through that phase of my life where, you know, I sat at, Stephanie was talking about clicks, how I sat at the freak table, Mm -hmm. you know, and those were the freak comic books at the time. And starting this and going into Marvel and going into DC and learning about image and dark horse and meeting the guys from 44 flood and IDW and all of that, uh, just really opened my eyes to comic books as a form of storytelling in ways that I never expected that I would feel, uh, books like Luna brothers girls and I kill giants is a huge one. Uh, pretty much anything by Jeff Lemire, the underwater welder, uh, as Je- and Essex County both mm. just crippled me emotionally. And I'm not, I'm not a guy that I can get like right there, like right on the edge. It's almost as if I fall off of the edge, and then somebody is grabbing my shirt collar from the back and holding me at like a at an angle over the mm-hmm. mountain and trying up to to pull me back. When it comes to you know, like you say, like I cried. Mm-hmm. I still have not cried because of a movie or a comic in several years. It's a little disturbing, <laughs> to to be honest. I just I never get over that edge. But um, I've also learned how to form an, a, a more well informed opinion and how to be careful about what I say for the most part because we we do have a number of listeners and that. There are a lot of people that, to me, it's just, I mean, I'm just a dude. You know, I'm, I'm a guy that I, I happen to be on this great show with a microphone in front of my mouth and stuff like that. But, you know, we're just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. But when we say something, people listen. And there are people that put a lot of weight behind that. And so you have to you have to have your ducks in a row and you have to be calculated and you have to have thought things through and there have been times where I've, you know, flown off the handle or have jumped at something and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Recently now, more than before in the past two years or so, in the past couple of months, I'm learning how to craft a better stance for myself and how to represent myself. And I think growing up and just as being an adult, that that's a really good quality to have to finally be getting to that point, mm-hmm. uh, I think is really important. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've learned a lot, a lot from being on the show. Awesome. I mean, for me, really more than anything else is I've, I think I've learned how to be uh, a, a journalist, I think. And I've learned how to be an editor in chief. You know, I mean, that I got that label um, um, automatically because yes. I created <laughs> the, the site, you know, and, and I was doing the job, but I didn't know what I was doing. I was just I figured I knew what I was doing, but. You know, now we've done this for a couple of years, and it's taken a lot of learning. It's taken a lot of hands-on experience. You know, uh, I I barely get to even I barely even get to write anymore because I'm doing so much other stuff. You know, behind the scenes, like organizing things, and that makes me a little bit sad because I'd like to write more. But you know, learning how to manage people, learning how to uh, come up with ideas that work not only for you know the good of the site as far as as far as uh, attention but for the good of the site as far as content you know coming with a, a philosophy for what the, the show means what the site means you know and, and being kind of rigid and sticking to it um it, it, it's something that you know i've learned 
that in order to achieve a philosophy that you set out to do, you have to you have to you have to stick to it. And you have to make real decisions that affect it. And I I didn't realize that before we started. You know, I just thought you know you you put some people together and you write some stuff and that's just how it goes. And as it's grown, it's gotten bigger. And like Steve was saying, as you start to realize you have um, people people take what you're saying seriously. You don't want to you don't want to change who you are because the, the the reason they take what you're saying seriously is because they they liked what your opinions were in the first place. But you start to realize that your opinions need they the opinions you have need to be thought out and they need and yeah. they need to be genuine, not not something you're saying to get attention or to make somebody just laugh or to be snarky. You know, you have to you have to take what you're saying seriously, and if you happen to be funny and snarky when you're saying it, that's awesome. But you, you have to you have to say what you mean because people are going to take that back, and they might buy or not buy something because of what you said. Right. And so I always I always like theoretically understood the responsibility, but until now I never really I never really understood it, and, and now I understand it, and that's the thing I I think I've learned the most from doing this. Nice. Well, yeah. that that has certainly translated into the. I don't want to turn this into we're polishing our own buttons here, but. <laughs> The you look at what our forums are. As someone who lurks on other ones, the culture you've created through our podcast and website and how it's expanded into mm-hmm. our listenership, our family, our community here. I don't think there's been a, a, an off word said between <laughs> anybody in whatever is ten thousand posts. Yeah, in the forums, it is the most yeah. amazing thing on these forums that that you find folks out there. Mm are the main participants of, and we thank you for taking what you did, Bobby, through into that realm too. I mean, what I, another thing I learned, that's part of what I learned, it's that I always hoped that there were other people like me who wanted a place that was not mean and snarky and was well thought out, and it turns out there are a lot of other people who want that. And I mean, it, like that, that was my philosophy going into it. It has been, it has been you know, created... And, and maintained and grown by the people in this room, by Steve, by Bob, by Stephanie. You know, Stephanie, you know, she, when she wrote that kind of rules of the forum thing, mm-hmm. it lays out completely perfectly the whole philosophy. And Stephanie did not ask me about what she was going to write there. Like, you wrote that, Stephanie, all by yourself. And it was, I couldn't have written it better, you know? And it, it's created a, a wonderful place for people to talk. And I, being able to learn that people wanted the same thing I did as far in internet community about stuff like this has, has made me really happy. So, um, fantastic. And good job, Stephanie. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Shucks. Um, Rah. this is from other, other summers brother on the, on the, on the forum. And he says, um, at some point, I'd like for the cast to seriously discuss what the critical mass of books is each week. Since they have been doing this for a good while now, how many titles can they honestly read, absorb, and be able to recall come cast time? For me, this is for, this is for other Summers brother, mm-hmm. he says for him, I'd, he'd say it's about 10 is the honest number. Uh, though he usually fits about 15 or more comics into a week. Hmm. So, Stephanie, what do you think? It really varies. Like, Honestly, like, I can absorb a lot more if I have the time to absorb a lot more. Like, if I have an entire day that I'm able to just read, you know, I can read, like, I mean, at one point in time, I read, like, 50 issues of Invincible and, like, a bunch of other things. And I can retain them if I'm able to kind of not have other distractions around um, and other things to kind of take my focus off. Um, 
And it, it varies, too, because I make notes. Like, I, I have an app on my phone uh, called Simple Note, and I write down every issue that I read, mm. and I make little, like, notes that will jog my memory about what I've read to help me retain it. Because, like, we do read so much. Like, it can get overwhelming. And, like, lately I've been maybe reading maybe five to ten things a week, maybe. Mm. And that's, like just because it's been a bit hectic for me, but um, it, it helps when it gets, that numbers get higher to kind of just, for me, to make notes, and that way I'm able to kind of absorb things more. Yeah. I know that's not really a proper no, answer, it is. like a yeah. number, but um, it kind of just is all over the place for me. Yeah. I mean, for me, and I, 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 this has been over the last couple of weeks, really, that I, I've started instituting this policy, and I, I think it's, for the podcast specifically, I, I think I think it's made me better at talking about the books, which is I am trying. Uh, there was there's you know months and year or two years or whatever that I just bought whatever I wanted to buy, and I would read try to read it all, and it's not sometimes not, but I was reading fifteen books a week, like he was saying, and I, what I find is that reading that many books a week for me personally, it's it. it it degrades the books I really like because mm. they'll get lost in the smush of the books I'm just reading to read them because they seem like books I should be consuming. Yeah. So I, I've really tried to throttle it now to less than 10 a week. I might buy more than that. Mm. Uh, but honestly, I've really stopped buying a lot of stuff because I realize I'm not going to read it. And if I do read it, it's going to go last and then I won't even remember it. You know, Hmm. um, so I've been trying to keep it to like between six and 10 books a week, hopefully around, I would would like to keep it around the six to six to eight number because then I feel like I really, I really, I, the ones that I love stick with me, uh, and I can talk about them more eloquently on the show, you know, cause honestly, like for the the last couple of, uh, superior Spider-Man issues, I've enjoyed so much more. Because it wasn't the eighth book I was reading that week. Right. It was the third book I was reading that week or the fifth book I was reading that week. And it went from a book that I was thinking, not drop, but I was thinking about it might go to, to trade only for, for a while to a book that I'm absolutely, that's never going to, that's not going to happen. And I'm glad because Spider-Man was my favorite character and now I, I feel reconnected again mm-hmm. with him. So for me, that's what happens. This, this week I read, it was, a, it was a light week this week, but I think I read like five books. Mm-hmm. And I, I, like, I loved the Justice League book and the Daryl book so much that I was able to just talk about those instead of reading them first and then reading 15 other books and being like, did I, what was the Daredevil that I liked? Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah. it, that, that, that goes away now. Now it's, it's there in my head very, you know, very sharply. I don't know, Steve. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I've been, I kind of been doing this thing, like you're talking about making policies. Uh, I've kind of made a policy for myself that I have to start reading things that I've been collecting for who knows how long and have not been reading them. The The list goes on and on as far as what titles those are between Mind Management, Mind the Gap, Catching Up with Morning Glories, which is something that every time I go to pick up Morning Glories, I feel like I have to go all the way back to the beginning just to refresh myself. Uh but in regard to how many books I read, I've I've pretty much been reading my entire pull for the last, I'm going to say three weeks. 
the last three weeks, I've read all of the books that I've picked up. I've managed to actually catch mm-hmm. up with a bunch of things because there's a bunch of things that I'm reading that I don't talk about on the show just because mm-hmm. they're not my favorites, but I'm I'm enjoying them or I don't tweet about it because I'm not in the mood to tweet. I've been kind of laying low on that end as well the last uh, couple of weeks or whatever or days. But um, yeah, reading so many things all at once, it really does kind of pull away from think the impact of things and you know we've talked about you know trade waiting and and like when i read uh jason aaron's thor god of thunder like i did one through 17 or one through 18 all in one shot that was one evening or maybe like an evening and a half that i did that i was so entrenched in that world and so involved in that story that it was just like I I heard the clanging of the swords, I heard the roar of the beasts, like I just all of that stuff, the frigid air of, you know, Nefelheim and all these places. And there's a there's something to be said for waiting and 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 really entrenching yourself in books. Mm-hmm. Um and especially with kind of uh, the new format uh that we've been doing with Books of the Week where we're trying to pare it down to just you know, the finest of titles that we've each read. Uh, I'd like to kind of mix it up a little bit to, it gives me the opportunity to talk about me like one or two things I really love and then go back into the archives and find something that could be like an off the beaten path book and just throw it in there. Um, and I like that. I think, I think it's really cool. And especially knowing what everyone else is reading and what their favorite books are, knowing that a little bit ahead of time, it's, it's good to only have to worry about really involving myself in those titles so that I can read the other ones at my leisure. Right. Am I making sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. No, that absolutely makes sense. So I probably yeah. have more to say, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going off on a tangent now, so I'm going to pass it to Bob. <laughs> Bob, what do you think? I have the smallest pull list probably of anybody. I yeah. have been over the last 10 or 12 years really ruthless about things. I cut and run quickly not as much as i should in some things so i'm probably at the lower end of things and i'll tell you that a half dozen is about my limit Mm. before it starts to get all weird Mm. so i read my books from sort of worst to best Mm. try to save the the highlights for last if i've got a dozen books i'll read them in two sessions i'll six and nothing Mm. watch put a movie on Mm -hmm. and go back because i just as you're saying i lose the enjoyment Mm in the rush of everything else. Yeah. I wish I could, there's a lot of great stuff out there, but Mm. if I'm going to buy it to buy it and not enjoy it, then there's just no point to that. It's just wasted money. And as you say, you can find out six weeks, six months later, that's something they should have as a trade. It reads better as a, yeah, yeah, absolutely. As a whole story rather than little bits and pieces that I'm not remembering anyway. The funny thing is we're, we're doing a book club this week. I read older books I can retain a lot better, mm. even if I've reread them as dense as they used to be. Things seem to happen, mm. and so mm. your brain ha- well. Here's an event, and I, I oh, Thor does this, or the Avengers mm. do this, or we're doing Kingdom Come, so Superman yeah. does this with with Captain Marvel, as opposed to that third issue of a six issue arc where nothing happens. They mm. sit around chatting, yeah. and what issue is that? I don't remember. Right. But, so I I'm six. I'm yeah. saying six. Yeah. Shoot, Steve. 
Um, well, you you brought it up. I'll just uh, I was going to wait till the end of the show, but I'll just make the announcement now since I've sent the the word out to everyone involved. Uh, the Talking Comics Book Club will be going on this Saturday. We're going to try to get uh, started as close to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we can. And uh, as Bob said, the book is Kingdom Come by Mark Wade and Alex Ross. Cool. So if you would like to join us in on that, we will be posting links and hopefully a chat page this time where we can all get involved with everybody watching. And uh, we got a really great <laughs> panel, and uh, I have a feeling it's going to be pretty epic. Awesome. Awesome. Um, all right. So let's go into another um, question here. This is from Adam Garza, and he wants to know, do you guys listen to any other podcast shows? Uh, Steve, do you? I, I am now a huge fan of the Giant Palm you, podcast. You come over to the, <laughs> the, the side of the good. Oh, God. It is so <laughs> It's so good. Yeah. I had no idea. I don't listen to podcasts. Mm. I hardly listen to my own. I listen to the Misfits podcast. That's a great podcast. It is so good, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, that's my favorite. Oh, it's awesome. It's so good. So, uh, aside from the Misfits podcast, and the, there's another one called uh, Talking Movies. Talking Movies, yeah. Something. Yeah. Those guys. Yeah. Are they going to do no. Daddy Daycare? They're all right. <laughs> yeah, I don't That's know. the episode I want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on their next episode, actually, for the Oscars. So. Wow. I'm going the big time now. Yeah. Um, okay. What was the question? Are you listening to their podcast? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I just, with, in, in regard to the Giant Bomb, I n- had no idea that there was ever anybody or a group of people that dissected video games the way that they do. Uh, very, very impressive stuff. Oftentimes, gut-bustingly hysterical. Yeah. Uh, if I started with the Best of 2013 podcast. It was a series of five podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, to anyone who has not tried their podcast, I recommend that that's where you start and go forward, and then you can always go back. Mm-hmm. But uh, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. And uh, I mean, my hat is off to them. Great. Yeah. yeah, like I said, that's the model for what we do here in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, if you look, if you listen to those Best of 2013 podcasts, that's where I got the way we do our best of shows. Yeah. I got that, the idea from them. Oh, there's so many. I can hear it. Once yeah. I start listening to it, there's so many elements of that podcast that are here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're amazing. I think they're the, when it comes to this kind of stuff, talking about this kind of stuff, even though they're talking about video games, I think they're the best. Um, yeah. Th- um, Giant Bomb, obviously. Um, he mentions here not other than Fat Man on Batman. We talk, I talk about that a couple of times. I listen to that in Smodcast of the Kevin Smith stuff. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, there's a show called Hardcore History that is um, this one gentleman. I can't remember his name right now, but he does histories of things, and they're long. They're usually in parts. And but if you like the show, you like long shows, so <laughs> you'll you'll like them. I mean, it goes really in depth. I listened to like a five part series on the Huns, and they're like two hours wow. each. Oh wow! Yeah, it was it was awesome. You know, I listened to one about Gen- uh, uh, another three part series about Genghis Khan. It, w- it, w- it, w- it was great. Nice. So if you're at all interested in history, it's a really great way to take that in. And hey, if anybody listening to this, if anybody knows of a great science related podcast where they're talking about like astronomy and chemistry and all of that stuff, uh, shoot me a message because I would love to start listening to one of those. I'm sure there's probably a, 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 a few. Yeah, really but I, great want, ones. I want the good one. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I'm sure there's a few. <laughs> I'm great sure ones, somebody though. here has the skinny. Yeah, yeah you find the Neil deGrasse Tyson one. Yeah, I don't, does, I, don't, I don't know if he does a podcast. Or Earth not. porn. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, I want. Um, I also I, I listen to like I listen to the IGN. A lot of my podcasts are video game podcasts. I listen to. I listen to IGN, other video game podcasts, uh, which are generally pretty good. Podcast Beyond. 
and um, the Nintendo Voice Chat podcast, the two ones I, I, I listen to there. Um, and there's a few more. I've been I... meaning to check out uh, Andrea Letamente's new podcast. Oh, yeah. That's I haven't true. heard it yet, but uh, I've heard really good things. Yeah, the Arkham Sessions, is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah, she does. Like, If you're Andrea on the show for Women's in Co- Women in Comics Week, uh, she's actually, I don't know if she's a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I think psychologist. Uh, she really breaks down in a very different way these heroes and villains, of the, uh, especially mm-hmm. the Batman universe. Uh, the show is really good and, and she's really great. So yeah. I would definitely recommend checking that out. The newest one is her uh, her thoughts on Two Face. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. Seven, do you listen to any podcasts? Um, not a ton. Uh, every now and again, I listen to Night Vale. Um, What's that? pardon? What's what is that? It's kind of hard to describe. You kind of just need to listen to it. It's a big. It blew up. Uh, like. It was kind of just nowhere. Like, I didn't know anyone that was listening to it. And then there's one week where everybody started posting about it. And then it was, you know, it's like. uh, Is it a story thing? Is it a a news thing? Is it an entertainment thing? It's not a news thing. It's kind of like, it's sort of like radio theater, but not at the same time. I'm trying to find like a good synopsis of it. Like it's. Is it fiction? yes so like it's called like this is what their description is here um the description is a twice monthly community updates for a small desert town of nightvale featuring local weather news announcements and uh from the sheriff's secret police mysterious lights in the night sky dark hooded figures with unknowable powers and cultural events Hmm. and then turn on your radio and hide welcome to nightvale that's sounds a little bit like Art Bell. No, it's the science fiction Prairie Home Companion. That's what I'm say. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like Prairie Home Companion, but it's science fiction. Awesome. Yeah. It sounds cool. So yeah. it's like it, it became a big deal. And they do a lot of – they show up at a lot of conventions now and do live podcasts there. And oh, like cool. they just – their host is Cecil Baldwin and people have like all kinds of fan art for them. And uh, one of the roles is actually played by Mara Wilson, who was Matilda. Oh, wow. Um, I think she started doing it because it's just mm-hmm. blew up. But um, I'm trying to see like what it's kind of. Yeah, it's it's a fictional show that's put together. So okay, yeah, well, I figured it wasn't really. Yeah, real. yeah, yeah. I figured that. Well, <laughs> I figured you would figure that from the description. But yeah. anyways, that's yeah. that's what it is. It's. I don't know. I feel like anyone who's listened to it would probably also say it's kind of hard to describe. So mm-hmm. please forgive me for being ramblier than normal totally okay. about this one particular thing no it sounds cool it sounds really really cool um thank you for that question uh all right this is from rob antonucci and he says marvel dc and image call oh boy i saw this one they want you to do art or write for any book in their line what one book would you choose to work for on from each company and would you write or draw a one from each yeah, yeah. one from each oh yeah, one from each. Bob, Bob seems ready. Sure. <laughs> I can't draw worth beans, though. I was not bad when I was about 13, 14. One of these days, I'll actually bring something in to show you. I'll start with Image. I would do something original there. I would do a Lovecraftian horror six-issue mini, sort of a Da Vinci Code, but the Cthulhu Code. Globetrotting nice. adventure. The end is near. And it really is. It doesn't doesn't end <laughs> oh well. Oh my god! I can see the I can see the the, the ad in the image books. <laughs> so what's next in the picture of Bob? <laughs> um, you better you shouldn't you shouldn't have said it out loud. I'm going to steal your idea now. 
Oh, well. You should have written that yourself. That's a yeah. great idea. I would read that book. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> if I were doing Marvel, of course, I'd love to say I'd be able to write Fantastic yeah. Four, but just for, because I shouldn't, right? I'd love a shot at Doctor Strange. Mm, very nice. Because he doesn't get any love, doesn't get written, you know, he's, mm. here and there you see him. He's big in the last mm. Avengers, but... On DC, failing uh, them allowing me to do a crisis and reboot everything back <laughs> again, I would want to do a JSA book on the real Earth 2 because that would give me all the toys to play with. Mm-hmm. They'd all be there and I could do them in whatever combination I want and have a boatload of fun. Nice. That's awesome. Nice. Awesome. Stephanie. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, well, I also cannot draw unless it's cat versions of things. Like, so, uh, that could be fun. Yeah. Well, like you, you could all, you put if you wanted to, if you would rather draw a book than write a book. It's just it's a fantasy, Stephanie. I'd like to write. Okay. I I would be a thing. That would be a thing I would do. <laughs> Why am I saying stuff like that? It's like a verbal lunge. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's start with image. I would write an original book for them that this creator owned. Mm-hmm. Good, oh good. God! Very very explanatory. <sighs> Yeah, I know. I'm being the worst right now. Um, with all the gasoline, I was like sniffing from snowmobiling unintentionally. <laughs> oh, fun times! We'll do we'll Minnesota. S- do image after. Start with one of the companies okay. that has characters. So let's see. For DC, and I'm not just trying to like, you know, get my claws out for Catwoman, but I'd really like a chance to kind of try and reboot her properly. Mm. I don't know if I could do it like. She really is a tricky character, I think, to get right. Mm. Um, she's just got a lot of different, um, you know, angles and stuff. But, you know, pretending that I had a really good arc for her in mind and I felt capable of doing that in this magical, you know, hypothetical situation, mm-hmm. I would really like to try Catwoman and try and get people back on board with her. Love it. Um, I... I Let's see. We don't have to think of like an artist or anything to be no, with it. It's just no, what no. we would do. Um, for Marvel... DC will assign you an artist, Stephanie, please. You're not that big, big of a deal. Felipe Andres. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. That could be cool. Yeah. Um, for Marvel, let's see. Um, do, do, do. For Marvel, I would do an arc of probably Runaways. <gasps> Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the comic, I think, from Marvel that I've read the most, though. It's probably one of the first comics that I collected wholly, like, um, from them. And, I I mean, I have, like, a lot of just various trade paperbacks and single issues from Marvel stuff. But this was, like, the first one that I was, like, devoted to. Mm. Um, And I feel like I could do the characters a lot of justice. Um, Especially after it went really downhill uh, post-Brian K. Vaughn leaving it. Um, so, I mean, that could be something that I could see myself doing. I, I just feel like there, there's a lot of fun characters to work with there and a lot of different angles you could do and a lot of new characters you could introduce and kind of make your mark, uh, in that world. Mm. Um, so yeah. And then for image, I don't know. I could do like. A Nancy Drew esque mystery. I like it already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Figure out some 
you know, Nancy Drew meets Scooby-Doo. And if it weren't for these meddling kids. <laughs> I feel like it's like all the anger that I'd want to put out there to shaking my fist at people at my on my front lawn if I had a lawn to, you know. <laughs> what am I talking Alon, about? Alon to know. <laughs> what? Who knows? Nothing. No, we have the whole state of Minnesota now they can you can yell at. <laughs> yeah. On your lawn. So a, a Nancy Drew kind of fun mystery book I think would be something that could be interesting because like I, I don't know if I get like an independent book would be really daunting for me because you know like an ongoing at least but if there was kind of one-offs or um you know just kind of minis that's something I think I could do it's like not that pressure of having a big 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 project for me mm. you could do an event Oh, I hate that word. <laughs> the event to end all events. The event to shove a boot up somebody's butt. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, I'd read that one. All right. <clears throat> Steve, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, bring it on. All right. Um, can, I, can I have two for each? No, you have one. Ah, oh, damn it. No. How, no, you have one. How long do you think the show is not going to be six hours long? You get I, one. No, it's, it's just, no, writing one, drawing one. That's it. All right, fine. <laughs> I would like to draw Little Gotham. Okay. I, I think that would be cool. Uh, if I was going to write something for DC, I would write a Dead Man arc. Cool. I think yeah. it would be really cool to have him body jump possibly into people that are known or create some kind of a um, like a like a murder mystery mm-hmm. using Dead Man going from um, I guess suspect to suspect. Uh, I think it could be mm. cool. Um, in regard to Marvel, I'm going to do an old podcast throwback to my future foundation Mm. story that, uh, that I talked about, uh, several months, probably beginning of last year, a year ago. Yeah. A long time ago. (laughs) Um, all the parent, all the, all the adults are gone, kind of set up and the future foundation and their friends are going to figure out a way to get them back. Mm. Uh, in regard to image, I am also going to go the, uh, original creator owned. I'd like to do a six part mini. Uh, the title of it would be called Theodora and the house of a thousand doors. Okay. Um, pretty much girl moves into town and uh, she lives with her mother in this giant house. There's no one around for miles. One day she's exploring her property and comes across a bridge that is lined with uh, white roses. She goes to take one of the white roses, pricks her finger, and the blood on her finger dyes one of the roses red, basically signaling to a kind of a fairy tale universe that this person has arrived. And the next time she returns to the to the area, there's a crooked house where a crooked woman lives who builds dream catchers. They become friends. She teaches her how to build the dream catcher. She brings it home. The night she's bringing it home, she trips and breaks the dream catcher. Rather than break the old woman's heart and ask her to help her fix it, she decides that she's learned enough to fix it on her own using bits and pieces from around her own house, therefore changing the way that the dream catcher works. And when she puts it above her bed that night and goes to sleep, rather than bringing in a horde of nightmare creatures, ends up pulling this strange dream, like almost like a a dream cop through the uh, dream catcher 
to stop the oncoming torrent of nightmares that will come into the world. Why do you guys, you guys do realize that like thousands of people listen to this podcast? They're all comic Because there's so much more to it. I know, but I'm just saying, because <laughs> they're very trusting. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. Uh, How about you, Bobby? I got, I got others. So um, for me, they're all kind of going to be uh, in, a, in a similar vein because they're the kind of stories uh, that I like, um, which are kind of uh, big, kind of complicated stories that involve time travel but are also funny. Um, and for DC, I would write a Booster Gold series ooh, ooh. uh and um that really goes into kind of the the, the time travel aspects and, and kind of uh how you affect your own fate kind of situation uh similarly the same thing over at marvel spider-man 2099 in kind of this time period the kind of how dan slots kind of set it up right now uh same deal you know i think both those characters uh share some similarities obviously boosters is is a lot of fun because booster is so full of himself um and the kind of culture he comes from is so so different, and and it's funny because Booster comes from a world that's not particularly negative. Booster comes from a world yeah. that where he's you know he's happy and he and he's the best. And he comes back to a time where things are not so much the best anymore, and it's kind of the opposite for you know Miguel in Spider Man twenty ninety nine. So I like to play with kind of both of those things. And Spider Man twenty ninety nine allows me to write Spider Man without having to actually write Peter Parker, which mm-hmm. I would be kind of intimidated to do. Um, and my idea for image would also obviously be creator owned. I'm not going to go too much into it. Bob's actually read the first two pages of it like three years ago, yes. but, uh, it would, it be similar situation, but a little more serious. It'd be a time travel story, uh, where the basic premise is it's, it's about how we affect our fate, right? So it's a, a guy wakes up, um, on a playground and the world is basically in apocalyptic, Mm-hmm. mode it's it's abandoned things are blown up there are um soldiers walking the streets you know kidnapping people and taking them away and there seems to be a totalitarian <laughs> state um what we come to find out though is this guy only passed out five minutes ago and in those five minutes the world has completely changed hmm. and so over the while you find out um why that is and how we end up affecting our fate both negatively and positively um, and it also goes into the, the big idea of prophecies and how when people, when people know a prophecy, they tend to conform to it in some way or, or, or the other. Um, so that would be that, that story. But, uh, great, great, uh, question, Rob. Thank you very much for that. Um, yes. let's see here. Uh, this is from Dan and he says, Dan Sims, and he says, the wife and I will be visiting New York city in a month, staying in Astoria. We'd like some pretty some we like some geeky recommendations for the New York geeks on what to hit up. We have limited time, about two days. So far, we have Midtown Comics and Kid Robot on our list. Somewhere with a good beer list that won't break the bank would would be appreciated as well. Well, they're right around the corner from Midtown Comics is the mm-hmm. Beer Authority with 150 beers and yes, two loud cover bands. Unfortunately, but a really neat <laughs> little place. And can I recommend a toy store before you do, Bob? Sure, go ahead. All right, Toy Tokyo. Oh. Yeah, go check it out. Look, you should also hit your New York or the Museum of Natural History. Look at some dinosaurs. <laughs> look at some uh, outer space stuff. Look at meteors and all that jazz. Hit the Shake Shack. Have a real good burger. What about the Strand? Strand is New York's best used bookstore, maybe the world's best used bookstore. What's their line? Eight miles of books. Mm. It is old-fashioned, crappy-looking steel shelves, 12 feet high, mm. spine out, 
prepare to have a stiff neck. <laughs> Downstairs, half price books. Mm. Cross the street, sort of, is Forbidden Planet, yeah. which is also a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Halloween Adventure. Yeah, it was going to be my lo- next On thing. Lower Broadway, which is right down the street from that. Tons and tons of gimmicks and toys and costumes. And even if it's not Halloween, it's all day long Halloween. Mm. Magic There's tricks. There's a lot and, of it. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a fun, fun place. Yeah, I mean, I would say the museum thing is a good idea, except if you only have two days, you really need... You need hours to go and actually appreciate. Not just to see dinosaurs. No, but if you're going to yeah. go into the Museum of Natural <laughs> yeah, History, um, you're going to want you want to want to spend hours there. And if you only have two days, it's I don't think it's it's going to really work out as far as that stuff goes. All the things you guys said though were awesome. I think those are all things you really really should check out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know don't <clears throat> don't miss out on going to the village. You know and walking around. I mean mm-hmm. if you end up going to Little uh, Tokyo, you'll see it obviously because right. you'll be in in the 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 west the east, east, village, east village at that point. But you know, go to the West Village, and the biggest thing I can say as, a, as someone going to New York, don't don't just eat and go to the places that are yeah. tourist places yeah. because you're not getting what makes New York special. Why would you go to Applebee's? Yeah. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, you, you're not getting what makes the city special. I mean, you can get those places anywhere. Places in the, I mean, do your research. Look up places. Don't just go to any, any, anywhere. Yeah. Unless it's a bagel or pizza place, and then you can't go wrong because it'll be better than any bagel or pizza you've ever had anywhere else. But uh, do your research and go to like find a cool restaurant in the West Village or the East Village, or you know, go to Little Italy or or yeah. Town or whatever. But um, just experience places other than the, the big places. And if you're anywhere, if if your adventures take you anywhere near Brooklyn, uh, I highly recommend a place called Fet Sow. And there's another one called Brisket Town. Mm. Brisket Town, they serve meat and whiskey. <laughs> the end. <laughs> nice. Good you will roll out of there. It is phenomenal. Very nice. Stephanie, do you have any, any suggestions for your, your, the short time you spent in New York? Any places that you've really loved? Um, I briefly went to Strand, so that was awesome. Uh, Midtown Comics, yeah, obviously. Forbidden Planet, I feel like, has more cool statue things to look at. They have pretty cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. They have like a, uh, when I went there, they had like a replica Rocketeer or like the actual Rocketeer helmet. I almost <laughs> cried. Yeah, lots of, oh lots of toys and collectibles. Yeah, yeah I wore, like my friend has that, so I like wear it around the apartment every time I visit. <laughs> She's also the one that has um, the Witch King mask from Lord of the Rings too. So oh, nice. it's like <laughs> wide up. Like every time I'm there, we always have like photo night because we're always drinking, and then it's just like we're trying on helmets from like Lord of the Rings and swinging around replica swords and stuff. I am the Witch King. Yeah, there's like I have a picture of it's like, it's like the only caption that could possibly go with it is like me wearing it. It's like, yeah, bitch. You look like you're on a chorus line in that photo. I know exactly the one you're talking about. But anyways, like that store, like Forbidden Planet, is just like so much more like replica stuff. I mean, I know they have books and stuff, but I feel like that's what I see it as more. Um, and I don't know, like, um. Every time I've been there to New York, New York Comic Con's been happening. So, um, but if you go to uh, see anything on Broadway, there's, I know Peter and the Starcatchers is supposed to be phenomenal. And that's Mm -hmm. like a really cool Peter Pan story. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily geeky or anything, but, you know, it's an interesting take on that world. And it's, it's different than something that you could see pretty well anywhere else. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and nothing, one of the things that says New York most of all is seeing a show because there's no other yeah. place you can see. That's, there's literally nowhere else you can see that. Mm-hmm. There's, and uh, I, I know that's not, tech, again, like geeky, but I no, wish I had geeky. gone to Broadway <laughs> when I was there, and yeah. I haven't. So There's also a, uh, a show called Sleep No More, which is going on now. It's very cool. It's a murder mystery where you actually follow characters around a hotel over several floors and into several rooms. And depending on who you follow, it changes the story. Mm. Uh, It lasts about three hours and everyone, I haven't been yet, but everyone that I know that has gone has ranted and raved about it. And I I plan on going once the weather gets better. That's cool. Would the New York public library count as geeky? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's cool. It's it's a huge, but it's an amazing, amazing. amazing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And And they have the Winnie the Pooh stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that what they're doing right now? Yeah. It's, I think, beautiful, okay. beautiful building. I mean, it's a gorgeous building. It's an amazing building to walk into from you know above anything else, even even outside the books. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I don't know when they're running it and when it's around. I'm not sure of the dates, uh, but uh, for a while they were running the, the Crazy for Cult show there, which is this amazing like pop art thing where they take all of these influences from the '80s and stuff, all this geeky geeky stuff. And they've created like this beautiful art out of it. Wow! So if they still, they're still running it, I'm not sure if they are. Check that out because that's that's amazing. When were they coming to New York? Uh, they were here for a while before. I don't know if they're still okay. here. I mean, I don't, it might be set up as insulation now. I don't know. That's uh, the thing. Um, who knows? Uh, but I, 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 it's off the top of my head. So, oh, if they do go to the library, if, if the our, our couple is here in the summertime in Bryant Park, they were showing movies. Oh yeah, that's great. That's On great. a giant drive-in screen. With a, there's a fancy restaurant there, and it's free. You just sit on the lawn mm. with your blanket and watch movies. Hmm. It's great, yeah. It's it's a wonderful thing in New yeah. York. Um, go to Central Park. I mean, I know I said not to go to the big places, but you got to go to Central Park. Got to go to Central it's, Park. It's amazing. All right, so this is the kind of a dual question here. We'll do these both uh, to people. They kind of feed off each other. But Toby Wolf asks, um, is the film industry helping or hurting the medium of comics? Are we feeding a lower art form with the higher? It seems as if the new goal of creating great comics is whether it's a mar- it's marketable as a film. He's particularly interested in hearing Bob's opinion on this. <laughs> and kind of in tandem, Dyer Harris asks, yep. why won't companies such as Warner Brothers and Disney promote their comics divisions on their channels? Um, do they only see them as intellectual properties? It, w- it would help out comics. So these are kind of in tandem. It's kind of the way that we're the, the mass media is affecting the comic book world. Bob, mm-hmm. they want to know your opinion. I, I wrote it down. I actually wrote it down. The movie divisions of the companies just don't do a good enough job linking the films to the books themselves. So the, the potential good for comics is just really unfulfilled mm-hmm. at the level it should be at. Now, it's it's good that many of Marvel's books have begun to replicate the lighter tone of the movies. We can see that that's mm-hmm. been a good thing, but then the book should be able to stay autonomous. Mm-hmm. If it ends up being just the... the tail that wags the dog were into a situation where they are just an intellectual property to make a movie and they're nothing more than a Mm tie-in they're a t-shirt or a coffee mug sold somewhere else it is a very delicate balance though and i like to say it's helping but we get anecdotal evidence from our friends who are in this business and a movie that makes a billion and a half dollars doesn't really sell a whole lot of extra books they see a few new people come in and it peters away as the movie goes away. Mm, so no. what both our questioners are saying, we need better linkage. Mm. We need it to be more positive. We need books in the theaters. We need, I said this to someone today, 
when I was a kid and Superman was on television, the, the old George Reeves show, every episode now appearing in the pages of Superman magazine, mm. you had an ad every week. Is there an ad on S.H.I.E.L.D.? Is there an ad on Arrow? No, there's not. No. An ad in the movie theater that says, <laughs> except at the very end of it, created mm. by Stanley and Jack Kirby right. in the Avengers book. And it's, mm. this, it's you can't see it without a magnifying glass mm. run up to the front of the screen. I have to do a much better job. I I think it's a positive, but it's a barely positive. Mm. Yeah, I, I will. I will balk. You know, I, I think the the wording of saying, "Are we feeding a lower medium with a higher medium?" Um, mm. I mean, that's that's a, that's kind of a, a pejorative way to go about it. Look, um, I, I don't think either one is better than, than the other um, when they're at their best at all. I think that there are both art forms. But listen, movies are are you know are probably the highest of the pop, you know, art forms, I would say. And th- there's been some movies that have, you know, changed people's lives, just as there's been comic books that have changed people's lives. Look, there are movies that are shit. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. <laughs> and the, and when you when they, be, they they start becoming just about, you know, ticking off boxes as far as making money, then, of course, they become a low art form. But I think to call movies a lower art from the comics, I think is, I think, a little bit wrongheaded. Yeah, I don't agree with that. Yeah. And that's just my opinion on that. Do I think that I, – I, I don't – I think that they do do a horrible job. I, I don't watch the cartoons on TV, so I don't know if they do anything there. I know for a while they were – on the Marvel stuff, they were doing like uh, – like Asada would draw like you know um, characters and they'd talk to him and he'd talk about oh. the books. So I don't know if specifically talks about you know advertising books there, but they do do a little bit on that. Yeah, it's weird that there are commercials for during Arrow you know, for, for those books. It, and, yeah. it, it just makes sense. Um, I don't think the movies are hurting the comic book world at all. I think, you know, just by the end of the show, we talk about some fantastic books over and over and over again. I think, look, I mean, it's always going to happen. Movies make a lot of money. And so comics are going to want to chase some of that money. So, of course, this happens when, when you get around the time when a movie's coming out. It turns out the villain in the book is going to be the same villain that's in the movie. Yeah. It just That's what happens. Um, yeah. You know, but it usually lasts for like three months and then or two months and then it's gone. Um, two or three issues and it's gone and that always means a bad story it could end up being a great story but I think that I think movies could do a better job of helping out just because I think that they're making so much money off these properties now they want them to keep coming out and keep being there for them to draw mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. They, they have to help that part of their you know their industry but that's what I think I think that in the 20 to 25 minutes where I'm sitting in the movie theater and I have to suffer through trailers of the bunheads <laughs> and things of that nature, that it wouldn't kill them to throw a little money into some advertising. And DC, if you're going to see the new Batman, that they have even one of those stilled images, just a really, really badass drawing of Batman with a, like a bulleted list of the titles that are available from DC Comics, available at your local comic book shop, mm-hmm. would might not might not move the earth but it would certainly raise awareness Mm. and that's where i think the movies do lend to the industry is that it might not certainly not the entire movie audience is not making a trek over to the comic book shop but in a in a in a world where comics being sold aside from being sold online are only sold at comic shops Mm. i just i wish that there was more of a more of a partnership, but I do think that the movies are, even if it's a like a small percentage, whatever that is, that it's moving people over like, oh, you know, mm. 
um, guys looking to get their girlfriends. And you always hear those stories mm-hmm. of, you know, oh, you know, I'm trying to get my girlfriend into comics. She likes, you know, Black Widow in the Avengers movie. Well, guess what? Now there's a bla- there's a really badass Black Widow book mm. from Marvel. It just came out. Three issues. You could find them all because they're all coming out real quick. Yeah. And I'm sure that there's multiple copies. Go to the store. Pick her up. See if she likes it. Mm. You know? And I just... I I hope that as the comic book movies, more and more of them come out, that it will transfer over to more sales comic book wise but it reminds me of a tweet that brian michael bendis put out when the guardians of the galaxy thing Mm. blew up and it was the number one trending Mm. thing that night he was like wow he's like i'm so stoked that all you guys are really enjoying the book yeah (laughs) you know it was just it was hysterical and it was kind of a burn and it was it was everything all in one Mm. and i was like wow like Mm. really but you know what now that people are really excited about Guardians of the Galaxy, there's a lot of people that are, and they want to know these characters before they go in. The people that are willing to go that extra mile, they will go into the comic shop and, and try to pick up those books. Yeah. I hope. Stephanie, do you have an opinion? Uh, I mean, I I think it's a bit of a, like, what Steve said, them putting money into making a trailer for, like, comics... I feel like that's never going to happen. That's unrealistic. They're not going to put money, like a million dollar commercial together for something that's not going to make them a million dollars. No, that's absolutely like, true. Um, yeah. But that's, I mean, it's not that it's a bad idea. It's just mm. something that, you know, just inevitably won't happen. Uh, where, you know, we might wind up seeing where they could do it is, you know, before, um, you know, like in the credits, Or, you know, after the Marvel logo, you know, instead of, like, we have all these things that pop up and it's, like, based on a true story. They could simply just do, like, based on this and show, like, the cover, like, the latest cover of Mm -hmm. whatever it is and then move on. Like, it doesn't need to be a big deal. And then, because the thing is, movies and comics, while they have a lot of similarities in the sense that, like, you know, comics can be very storyboard-ish, like, I mean, they are storyboards, basically, but, you know, I don't necessarily think we're catering to the same audience. You know, like, everybody on opening night of the Avengers, um, you know what, truthfully, like, maybe 10 people in there are faithful comic book readers. And I know that's, like, lowballing it. Like, I'm just being a bit dramatic. But, like, you know, not everyone there is going to be there for the comics. They're going to be there because it's an action movie that looks good and they want to see it. And they're in high school or they're bored or, you know, they want to go out or they see movies all the time. You know, like, there's just a lot of different um, reasons people go to movies and it doesn't necessarily always transfer over to sales for the comics. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I would love to see things like more advertisement for uh, you know, the books in the movies, but at the same time, they're separate entities. They're very loosely based on comics. They are never true adaptations, and at the same time, well, it's nice to be like, if you like this, you should see this. A lot of the time, if they like, you know, Captain America, you know, like the, like the last run of it wasn't good. You know, like, I, I think you guys said like the one that where they rebooted it, it renumbered it last. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was not the you know, like stuff, yeah. if you're like, well, like this, go read this. They're going to be like, oh, and give up on comics. 
Well, maybe. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, maybe. I, I'm being but dramatic. But you get, the, like, get I, them into the store, and maybe someone could point you toward the book mm-hmm. that you should be reading. But like, we're, yeah, but we're... that's maybe. That's maybe. But I, I, I mean, I, I understand. Like, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate a bit here. Yeah, like, it's, it's, you know, it's wishful thinking that everyone who sees the comic that it's based on would go into the store. I know, but uh, all, all advertising at a certain level is wishful thinking. You're yeah. hoping to get people to come sample your product, whether yeah. it's mayonnaise or uh, soap powder. Yeah, and yeah, but I mean, trailers make sense. Movies, trailers for other movies. But I mean, putting an advertisement for a comic is just kind of like, well, I don't I mean, know. Like, I just don't think it's, for me, it doesn't seem as like likely to succeed yeah well i i look i think doing like a i i always think that like the like the like the motion comic trailers they do for books where they come out even for the the comic book audience i think is misguided because it's that's not what they're they're about you're selling something that 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 it's that it isn't um but for me like it's not about getting everyone who watches the avengers it's about getting a a one percent of the people who watch the avengers because if one percent of the people who watch the avengers bought a comic book it would be the best-selling comic book in the world you know so I, I feel like it's about getting it out there for them to, 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 to know that it exists. You know what I mean? To tell people that there is a place you can come to, to get this stuff. And I don't know if it's, I don't think it's, it's probably not in the theater, I think, when the movie's playing. But I think that when you, when you, see, a mo- when, when you see a movie coming out that's based on a book, you hear about that book and about the author of that book a lot. You know what I mean? We we have for the first time, and comic people are talking about it, but the world is talking about it at large. For the first time in any of these comic book movies, we have a, a movie coming out that's based on one storyline. You know, they're taking liberties with it, but The Winter Soldier is based on a labeled volume that you can buy from the store. You know, there is a direct correlation between those two things. And the fact that in the lead up to this movie, we don't get to see Ed Brubaker. You yeah, know, on, on with Jay Leno or, or whatever, Jimmy talking Fallon, whatever. about it, I think is it's it's weird because I think that people will be interested in hearing about it, and I think that it, it, it doesn't be everybody. I'm not saying it has he has to be on Jimmy Fallon, but you know, there's a place to have those people who created the stuff talking about these things. Well, you also have to keep in mind that these people might have been offered stuff like that, and they just didn't feel comfortable. I, I don't like, know. I mean, I, I know. I'm just, I'm just like saying, kind of like, I know what you're saying, but you know? there's a ton of other reasons why maybe these things haven't happened. And like, you know, X-Men first class is also another example. So, I mean, winter soldier is not the first. Well, yeah, but X-Men first class isn't based on X-Men first class at all. Like if you, if you read the X-Men first class book, there is like nothing the same between those two things. It mm-hmm. car- it, sh- it carries that name. But it doesn't carry any of the characteristics of that of that story, um, so and, and, so the, the, I, I just think that there is a pl- I, and something I think you're right. I think you can't market them the way you market movies because that doesn't make sense. But I think that letting people know that there's a place and comicsology it makes so much more sense now. You know, to be, you don't have to be like go to your local comic shop. It can be like get this on your phone right now. Well, you know? that's something actually. Like I could see that. That is marketable to people that go to movies. Yes. Not the comic itself, but comicsology. Yeah, if you had like a, 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 you could have a QR code on the screen and go put yeah. your phone up and scan that, it and it will download a comic you, book for you. That's the kind right of now. advertising that I think would work. And I, the, and I know like we've gotten into really technical stuff on this, but no, that but for important. me would be something that definitely has the potential to bring in readers in one way or another. Well, here's the yeah. thing in the theater, 
since it is the companies that make the comic making the movie, Disney, Warner Brothers, for the most part, you know, we'll leave Fox out of this for now. They have already paid for the film print. They're not, they're, they've paid for the space in essence. It's already there putting 14 seconds of cue this with your phone or yeah. it's in this book or you should read yeah. this arc maybe after or before the Marvel mm. logo just as a reminder of people cost them 50 bucks. Yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, <laughs> yeah. it's a couple of feet of film mm. and, and someone's hours worth of work in, yeah. in the lab. It's not that much. Yeah. Granted, making a huge multi-million dollar trailer, yeah, yeah not going to happen. No. But there are ways around that simply yeah. text, print, yeah. uh, some, somebody standing. Doesn't Marvel have an, an internet television show or something? Yeah, they do. Like, yeah, they do. You have her yeah. under contract. Yeah. Put her up there and say, look, oh, by the way, Winter Soldier, yeah. buy this. Yeah. I, 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 and I think on TV, by the way, I think it's even less excusable because the amount yeah. of shit that runs on the bottom <laughs> of TV shows now... Where I have to watch yes. like animated things of like a, a person like jumping through a window, and it's like you know, you know, being you know almost human. To Fridays on yeah. at six, uh, you know, on Fox. The NCSI team coming yeah. out of the fog. Exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, like there's no reason why you can't throw up a, a code down there or a thing like go to this and if, you know want to know more about this character, go to this because there's so many times. And Stephanie, you just caught up with Arrow. Hmm. Um, I did that. That mm. show. There's so many times where they they mention character's name, and the first thing I do is I go to Google, and I'm like, who? Because I know when they say a character by name like that, it's going to be somebody in the comic books, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know if they put up like you know more about Black Canary, more about this character, you want to know more about Roy Harper, you want whatever it is, you know. And they, DC, which they even have a comic book that's based on the show, you know. So it makes no sense not to link those two yeah. up in, in some way. Um, I I see him in the comics all the time. Yeah, yeah. It works in one direction. Yeah. Why not the other way around? It's the worst advertising. Arrow's in the world. very good, by the way. I know it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> Considering I like really hated it at the beginning of it, like the first half of season one. Yeah. I mean, Bobby, I told you I was like halfway through season one, and yeah. then next thing I knew, I text you, and I'm like, done. Yep. <laughs> it's the story of that show. I think for all of us on this sh- uh, on talking comics, really. Yeah. You start it out sucks. Now- Till it doesn't, and, and when it when it stops being bad, it's like immediately very good. It just like happens so, immediately. To anyone wanting to get into it, Laurel never gets better. Yep, never. She's don't expect her to get better because she's the worst. And we talked about this. Somebody talked about this a little bit worse. too. Is like that. I don't dislike Katie Cassidy as an actress. They just give, they just give the character nothing to do. She's always a wet blanket. She's always the one who's like, no, you can't do this, or you're bad. Like she's always the one who's. The yeah. naysayer, and it's just tough. Even in season two, like, they yeah. they picked her out to be the villain. Yeah, I won't spoil it because like the last episode is like a big reveal, but like you know, this amazing thing happens to her that she should be like so happy about, and instead she's like, "No, this is stupid. I'm gonna storm out of my apartment, and I'm gonna throw a hissy fit in the street, and I'm gonna be an alcoholic." I'm gonna go get drunk. It just, like, yeah, I saw I. I have been trying. Uh, uh, I yeah. watched that one. That made me sick. It's rough. Her character was, is treated very was... roughly. There's, it's, it sucks because I feel like every other character is treated very well, you know, and, and her character is treated the worst. Of Even any the of dad got better. The dad got way better. Yeah. I really enjoyed the dad's character, actually. Once he stopped being a dick. Yeah, exactly. Once he stopped being the... Let the bad guys be the heavies and let the good guys be... Mm-hmm. Let the good go. guys be good, you know? It's very world-building. It which is. is my favorite yeah. part about it is yeah. that it feels like you're in the DC universe yeah. when you're watching the show because they keep 
building with new characters. Yeah. And the characters, for the most part, not all of them, but the majority of them are really great representations yeah. Yeah. of those characters. Fucking Deathstroke? Yeah, dude. <laughs> He's good. I'm so excited about There's it. There's a lot of really, I mean, it it got really good. And there's yeah. a lot of great support characters too yeah. between Diggle and Felicity. Mm-hmm. Um, I still stuff with the mother. I'm, I'm hoping that they're going to develop it a little bit more. Cause there are, there are things in the background about her character that if they just focus on it for an episode, it could blow it up to be really, really good and really interesting, but I know they're saving it. Mm-hmm. They're, they're stretching it out on purpose. Yeah. And I, I want it. <laughs> well, that's good though. They're making, no, I know. I know. I, Hey, I, I was one of the people that didn't like the show mm. from the get-go, yeah. and everybody kept hounding, and they said, well, just mm. do it, and I did it, and now I, I love it. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, because uh, I, I wa- every time I watch I think Stephen Amell, he looks to me like Chris O'Donnell, like number two. He me. does. He, he does. Every time I look at him, he looks like Chris O'Donnell. We should watch him do his laundry and see if he'll uh, yeah. do some special nunchuck moves with his socks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good pull right there. Um <laughs> All right, so uh, want to close this off with uh, uh, we, we earlier we started the show talking about Harold Ramis and how he passed away, mm. um, but Patrick McClear asked us, you know, what actors, writers, or directors do you think are impacting kids today? The world, the way Harold Ramis had a beautiful impact on our generation. Oof. Yeah, it's a big question. I mean, for me, I, I feel like the first person that came to my mind was Edgar Wright. That was the first person. Who came to my head? Um, Good answer. You know, I mean, it's a little bit of an older generation. Probably, it's a teenager. It's not so much like twelve-year-olds and stuff like that. But mm. that level of intelligence um, mixed with silliness in his comedies, I feel like it's very reminiscent of those kind of those kind of uh, works. So that's one of the biggest ones for me. You know, absolutely. Um, I don't know, Bob. If you anybody, I'd have, I'd have said Pixar, but it seems as if they've drifted a little bit late. with some of the the, the sequels. Yeah. But I mean, there's still plenty of stuff there that I mean, that's there. Th- like there are movies like I, you know, as much as like I love, I mean, I love Up and Wally and the in- Incredibles and stuff like that. But I saw those movies when I was pretty much an adult, you know, mm-hmm. or I was I was you know 20 by the time Incredibles came out, you know, whatever. Uh, those movies are going to shape the way you know certain people um, kind of see the world and see. Like the way that those early Disney movies or the '90s Disney movies did for 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 you know people like me and and stuff like that, I feel like that's definitely going to be something for them. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Seventy. I think like, I mean, in kind of silly capacities. I mean, he's not great, but I think people like Will Ferrell will leave mm-hmm. a sort of mark on. I mean, they already have. He already has. Yeah. But in like sort of goofy, sort of Ghostbuster kind of stuff, I think mm-hmm. like Will Ferrell kind of took over that that role in this kind of modern generation. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of who I think of when it's like funny movies mm-hmm. nowadays. Um, but I think you nailed it kind of with the smart movies. Cause I was like, what smart movies would kind of come back, you know, like shot of the dead and mm-hmm. hot fuzz and yeah, all that stuff. Um, I, I don't know. Like I mean, there's so, you know, we've, been in this media crazy industry for or you know world rather for a while now but even back when ghostbusters was coming out there still wasn't as many movies being come out coming out as there are now mm-hmm. um we're just in like media overload and there's just so many places where people can find their inspiration and uh 
yeah. heroes and icons, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a little overwhelming and daunting to even think of just, you know, the whole process of it, like trying to find someone that really means something to you. But there, there's, there's a lot that do stand out. And yeah. Edgar Wright, I think, is definitely one of them. Maybe even Joss Whedon as well for yeah. sort of that cult classic kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Bob? Jason Reitman? Jason Reitman's great. I mean, the problem is I feel like he makes movies for adults. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's the problem. I don't think Jason Reitman reaches, no, unlike, unlike his father, um, for the few movies he made that were good, uh, he, you know, he, he, doesn't, he reaches adults. He doesn't, I don't think he reaches kids. Um, I think when they get to that age, they're going to find a bunch of really beautiful little movies to watch. Um, but I don't know if, that, if that's, okay. you know, he's a great director, though, obviously. Um, director wise, I might say Peter Jackson. Yeah, no, absolutely. For Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. between pa- parents and kids getting together yeah. to to watch a movie series, an mm-hmm. epic movie series together, right? Um, possibly, I mean, this is only this is, again sticking to a series, but David Yates, who mm-hmm. was the director of the last couple of, uh, did he do the majority of the Harry Potter? He did five through eight. So he did the most. I mean, he did only one. Did, yeah. Only did multiple ones other than Chris Columbus. And um, for for baby parents that are, are looking for animation that's a little bit more uh, foreign, I'd say Hayao Miyazaki mm. as, a, as an influential uh, animation director, certainly, once they... Once, but, what? I mean, that's... Yeah, some of the stuff, it's like very mixed, not like for kids, all of it. No, but once once Disney got distribution rights to mm. his movies and they started pumping them out on Blu-ray and you had, you know, people were going back to stuff like Neighbor, you know, My, my Neighbor Totoro mm. and Kiki's Delivery Service came out. Um, Ponyo was released in the theaters, The yeah. Secret of Arietti mm. and uh, The Wind Rises just was released. Just if you're if you're if you're into animation, if you grew up into animation and you're a parent and you're going to sit your kids down to watch something, perhaps a little bit more substance, um, you'd be hard pressed to find something better than Miyazaki. Mm. I don't know if it's one creator, but I will just take this as a project: The Hunger mm. Games. Oh yeah, no, I think absolutely. I just watched the second Hunger Games. It was good, <laughs> it was really good. Um, no, absolutely, and I, I think that. You know, when I think of Harold Ramis, I'm a, uh, you know, my brain will all admit the comedies, and that's why I went mm-hmm. to Edgar Wright immediately. It's tough, though, because we live right now, and not that, obviously, kids didn't watch R-rated comedies then and won't watch them now, but we live in kind of an age of R-rated comedies. You know, the Apatow stuff is brought, I brought that back in force, and it's the stuff that seems to make a lot of money, you know, now. Um you know, I, I think that I mean I think movies like The Four Year Old Virgin stand up to movies that came like the, like those movies we talked about before that Ramus movies. I think it's just as smart and and just as mm-hmm. um, memorable as those movies. I just don't know. And again, but I don't know because when I was that age, I was trying to watch movies like that mm-hmm. a- as well. So where's our generation's John Hughes though? Yeah, we don't really have a John Hughes, you know, right now. Um, we would fit that role in between. Yeah, you're growing up Film into has that. Changed too, especially comedy. Yeah. Comedy's changed. Drastically. I mean, it, it's it's cyclical. You know, I mean, yeah. there was a time where the movies that are coming out now were the only movies that were coming out, and then they went away for a very long time, and then they loop back around, and then we'll loop back around again, we'll loop back around again. You know, it'll, it'll just happen. I mean, the interesting thing about the Apatow stuff is the Apatow stuff is that dirty thing with kind of the Almost like that, the the heart of something like you know John Hughes. It doesn't always doesn't always pull it off, you know, completely. But all those movies tend to mix those two things together pr- pretty heavily. 
Um, you know, the other thing too is like now, <clears throat> I feel like more than ever, we're like a very na- navel gazing culture where the moment something comes out, we're asking ourselves, is this going to be the next this? You know? <laughs> and I, I, I don't know if that was the way it's always been, but I feel like it's, it's increased even in my, you know, lifetime, you know, in, ingesting media. So I think it's tough because, you know, Ghostbusters, I don't know what the next Ghostbusters is going to be. I don't know. You know who, we're not going to know until it's, it's long gone, you know, it's long past. Then we'll look back and like, oh man, that really changed things. Um, you know, but for me, like I said, the, starting out Edgar Wright, like Shaun of the Dead to me is that movie. Shaun of the Dead to me is, it's like Ghostbusters to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it was a great pick. Yeah, the mix, such an amazing movie. The mix of those two things. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, sorry. Scott Scott Pilgrim, I think, is going to be one of those films. Oh too. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so thank you guys so much for writing in and giving us those questions. Um, we we got a few questions about going to other cons this year, and fortunately for us, it's really tough because we don't really have a budget other than to go to New York Comic Con. We're going to go to the New York City Special Edition. And one of our listeners actually will get we'll talk to them maybe more personally, but it's they talk about there's one in Westchester, hmm. <clears throat> so maybe we can look into the dates on that and stuff. But somehow, if we're going to Heroes Con, and I just don't think that's going to be possible because it's just a, yeah, it's a trip no. that we can't yeah. afford to make. But might it, go, but that would just be me. Right, but you're still you're a yeah. vital part of the group, Stephanie. So Stephanie will obviously let us you know as we go along. We'll we'll let you know uh, more in depth about that. But if we ever have a budget to go places, then we will we'll definitely make those a priority to go to. We'll fire up the Talking Comics corporate jet. Yeah, exactly. I will be at Emerald City. <laughs> oh, cool! So that's awesome. So for um, anyone who I'll be both at I'll be at Emerald City and SpringCon this year for sure in Baltimore later in the year. Cool, awesome. Sorry, I didn't mean to sideline you no, there, you Bob. I think you were starting sign- to say something. <clears throat> you did not sideline me, sideline me at all. I was just going to go to the, the releases, so it's totally fine. Um. Let's see what's on the shelves right now. Uh, from, Huge week. From Boom Studios, we have Bravest Warriors, number 17, Deceivers, number 3, Hacktivist, number 2, Peanuts, number 16, Regular Show, number 10, uh, Robocop Beta, number 1. Uh, from Dark Horse Comics, uh, we've got Captain Midnight, number 8. We've got Furious, number 2 of 5. Halo Escalation, number 3. Uh, King Conan the Conqueror, number 1 of 6. We've got Mass Effect Foundation, number 8. The Massive, number 20. Mind Management, number 19. Pariah, number 1 of 8. Serenity Leaves on the Wind, number 2. Star Wars Legacy, 2, number 12. Tomb Raider, number 1. And Vandroid, number 1 of 5. Um, That's a good title. Yeah, it is a good title. <clears throat> From DC Comics, we've got 100 Bullets, Brother Lono, number 8. We've got Adventures of Superman, number 10. All-Star Western, number 28. Aquaman, number 28. Uh, we've got Batman Superman, number 8. Uh, Batman the Dark Knight, number 28. Beware the Batman, number 5. Catwoman, number 28. We've got Dead Boy Detectives, number 3. DC Universe versus the Masters of the Universe, number 5. Mm. Flash, number 28. Forever Evil, Argus, number 5. Justice League, Dark, number 28. Lara Fleas, number 8. Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, number 42. Superman, number 28. Superman, Lois Lane, One Shot. Talon, number 16. Teen Titans, number 28. Uh, Wake, number 6. And World's Finest, number 20. <laughs> <laughs> from Dynamite Entertainment, we have Army of Darkness versus Hackslash, number six. Black Bat, number nine. Uh, we've got Cryptozoic Man, number four of four. Damsels, number 13. Deja Thoris and the Green Men of Mars, number 11. Doc Savage, number three. Legends of Red Sony, number four. Um, we've got Lone Ranger, number 22. Robotech, number two. Uh, from IDW, we've got Ghostbusters, number 13. Judge Dredd, number 16. My Little Pony, Friends Forever, number two. Powerpuff Girls, number six. 
Samurai Jack number five, Star Trek number 30, Star Trek Khan number five, Thunder Agents number six, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 31, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, Ultram Empire number two, Transformers Regeneration one number 99, Wraith Welcome to Christmas Land number four, X-Files Conspiracy Transformers number one. Uh, from Image Comics, we have Artifacts number 35, Black Science number four, Bounce number 10, Chew number 40, Dead Body Road number three of six, Deadly Class number two, Elephant Men number 54, Five Weapons number seven, we've got Manhattan Projects number 18, One Hit Wonder number one of five, we've got Rat Queens number five, Revenge number one, Satellite Sam number six, Sex number 11, we've got Sheltered number seven, Super Dinosaur number 22, um, three, number five, Umbral, number four, and Walking Dead, number 122. Uh, for Marvel Comics, we've got Avengers Assemble, number 24. We've got Cataclysm, The Ultimate's Last Stand, number five. Deadpool, number 24. We've got Fantastic Four, number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've got George Romero's Empire of the Dead, Act One, number Ooh, two. Scary. Guardians of the Galaxy, number 12. Hawkeye, number 15. Ooh. Indestructible Hulk, number 19. Of the uh, Mighty Avengers number seven, yes. We've got Miracle Man number three, um, Origin two number three, Revolutionary War Super Soldiers number one, Secret Avengers number sixteen. Uh, we've got Superior Spider-Man number twenty-eight. Sweet. Um, Thunderbolts number twenty-two. Yes. Uncanny Avengers number seventeen. Wolverine number two. Wolverine and the X-Men number forty-two. Ooh. Uh, from. Uh, uh, Valiant, we've got um, Bloodshot and the Hardcore, number zero. XO Man of War, number 22. From Xenoscope, we have Barmaid, number three. I'm not going there again. And Grim Fairy Tales presents <laughs> Quest, <laughs> number Trouble four. Trouble last time. So that's uh, all the releases. That's on the shelves right now. If you guys want to get in touch with us, it's a podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com, at TalkingComics on Twitter, or Facebook.com slash TalkingComics. My uh, personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve? Mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Stephanie? I'm at hello cookie. And Bob, email. And Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. Guys, make sure to check out the uh, the forums over on Talking Comics. Um, Make sure, like Steve said, that we got a Talking Comics book club coming up this Saturday for Kingdom Come. So get your hands on that book, read up, and and come watch that show. Uh, Comics and Coffee on Fridays. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also have... A special, um, Stephanie, you're recording the second episode of The Misfits, correct? Yes. So it should be up on Monday, and we have our own channel now. Mm-hmm. And um, there was an issue yesterday where we posted a link on our Misfits Twitter, which is the underscore Misfits, uh, where you can find the feed there if you haven't followed it already. But uh, it was saying you had to be in Canada to subscribe. Yeah. But <laughs> I got word today that it corrected itself. It was just an issue where it was available to me, but... Because it was still in like the first 24 hours, it hadn't uploaded to all of iTunes yet. Okay. So anyone who had tried to subscribe yesterday, that link now works. Oh, awesome. That was that lady at the border. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, she was after you again. Yeah. But anyways, uh, please, please, please follow it. Um, like, we, we loved the support of the first one, and it'll mean the world to us if you guys keep up with it. What is your topic, or do you have one yet? Um, we will be discussing Warren Ellis. Oh, so, nice. yeah, we're going. We're, we've been choosing characters and creators, and um, the next show. I, I won't tell you what our subject is, but it'll be something outside of comics. So oh, cool. We we're gonna shake things up. 
Awesome. That nice. sounds awesome. Um, also, One other plug. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is more than likely happening. I think we're 95%, mm. barring, of course, weather events. It is mm. still the fall here. But on Thursday, March 13th, we will be appearing, though Stephanie, by Skype, mm. on WUSB Radio here, the Stony Brook College radio station, which is also available at WUSB.FM okay. streaming mm. live. From 6 to 8 p.m. on the Long Island Scene and Sound. We will be discussing <laughs> us and comics and stuff. Mm, so we will. We'll tweet out a link to that and stuff when, yep. it, when it gets closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, guys, make sure to check out, you know, we have non-comic book stuff as well. Uh, Talking Movies uh, with Brian Verderosa. They just did an episode about Blade Runner, which was great. Uh, <laughs> it made me furious because I hated what they said about Blade Runner, but it was still a great conversation. Um, and they will be, uh, well, at least Brian will be down here uh, this weekend for the Oscars. Um, That's this weekend? Yeah. What? So you better be here on Sunday, sir, because we're on a party. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I'm supposed to babysit. Oh, boo. Oh, what? They can't make me babysit on Oscar night. What the? <laughs> f- All right. Uh, something's going to have to happen. Here. Bring um, the baby. Yeah. yeah. Right. So uh, Brian will be here, and so I. We, um, I'm sure that's what I will be definitely be on the show, and we might have some other special guests as well if if people are around when we're recording that show. But you can hear that about the Oscars. Uh, that will probably go up on next Monday as well. Mm. Um, and uh, we have another show in the works that's not video. Uh, that's not comic book related. So uh, you guys can look out for that sometime in the in the near future. And we also have another a, a pretty. Um, Big thing we're planning, uh, so look out for that in the next couple of weeks. Teases. Yeah, definitely teases. Uh, that's going to do it uh, for Talking Comics for this week. So for Steve. Later. Bob. Adios. And Stephanie. America. <laughs> I have oh, been, been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. Oh,